Hi, I'm Benjamin Light. And I'm Marco Sparks. And welcome to Bros Watch PLL2. We are joined by a special guest today, writer and executive producer of Pretty Little Liars, Joseph Doherty. Good afternoon or good evening or good morning. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. Yes, hello. Th- thank you guys and thanks for uh, thanks for watching the show. Oh, yeah. We've had a lot of fun with it, so thank you for helping create it. Um, yeah, we've got some questions. We just watched Farewell, My Lovely, the penultimate episode of PLL written and directed by you and uh thought maybe we could get a little little commentary a little writer director commentary on on pll and that episode in particular uh, the views expressed are not the views of uh, freeform and whatnot <laughs> yeah yeah the only opinions are <laughs> I should where's my lawyer's number it's just here a minute ago it's just yeah it's it, it just that the only thing i can actually attest to are the things i actually did and the things i actually believe when i was writing them and doing them so i really can't uh so I was part of the show, but I don't speak for the show. How's that for being really wussy? What would you like to know? <laughs> so many things. Um, Just go down the list. That's what we're here for today. Yeah. I guess uh, one thing we've always been curious about is the creative process for the five years forward in general. I know that was kind of something you guys transitioned to in the middle of season six. Like, how did that play out for you guys? Well, it was the, in one part, in one way, it was the cost of success that the show was going longer than I think we originally thought it was going to go. And we'd reached a point with the, with the actors where it was just not credible to, to, to keep them where they, to pretend they were in high school any longer. We had, you know, we had, we had extended high school the way MASH extended the, the Korean War. <laughs> um, and it was time for everyone's sake uh, to, to, to move forward. Under normal circumstances, you probably would have done it at the beginning or end of a season, so you would have had more time. But we tended not to do things in a very normal way, and we were very anxious to get it started. Hmm. We were very anxious to make the to make the move because the shoulders were pinching a little bit on the stories. So the idea was to uh, was to make the jump and start a new mystery. Um, find another, find another that night mm-hmm. and, and move forward. I think at that point we knew how long we were going to go at that point. I think we had been picked up for the two seasons. So we knew there were going to be 30 episodes. So we had the benefit of, doing, well, this is, uh, this is what we've got. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's do this. But since these, 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 I mean, one of the, one of the strangest things of the last year was the tendency to, to refer to the characters as girls. Mm-hmm in the writer's room because that's just what we got used to. And, and it, all of a sudden it sounded very condescending, <laughs> but it was, it was, if we had been thinking about it, we would have done it between seasons, but we were not. So we took this very aggressive uh, attack of, of changing the looks on the, on the actors and tearing down some sets and building some new sets. Very often we'd shoot, you know, you'd shoot on a set and you'd walk off at it, off of it. And someone would come in and start taking it apart. Mm-hmm. Like Spencer's old room, Spencer's old room, which which I know that uh, Troy was a little upset. She did not get to say goodbye to the room, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of the we lost some of the school as well. And but we also kind of took a little more possession of stage eight and put the new Radley up, mm-hmm. having but still having to keep some of the old Radley around. So you mentioned 
the new that night like what was the first like pebble dropped in the water for the ripples like how did you guys even begin to to start i think it was we at that point with i don't i'm gonna all my i'm gonna get all my episode numbers screwed up and i'm gonna start sounding like john mccain at the debate (laughs) this one over here um i think that we we wanted we knew we had to do another murder Hmm. To, I mean, that's a simplistic look at it, and maybe that's me simplifying what we we're thinking about. Is well, we need another mystery. We need to do something to somebody else, and we need to know what happened. And Charlotte, who you know had had when last seen on the roof of the Radley, which I think is the last time you see her in what would that be? That would be six, six ten. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, if part of this, and this is, you know, this I, I don't want to st- step on the print the legend part, but you know, Vanessa was was on another show, mm-hmm. and it was unclear to us what kind of access we were going to have to her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and since she had had this, you know, great multiple flashback epiphany in six ten, um we thought this was an opportunity that she would be the best candidate. Um, she knew a lot of dark secrets, so there might be some people who wouldn't want to keep her around that town. And the idea was then, yes, let's, and then it was like, it was fairly finite in the construction. It was like, well, we'll do this. We'll, you know, I, 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 I wrote 11. So I said, let me do some stuff where there's some, where we have a little more control uh, about what the mystery elements were. I mean, there was a period there for the first, I think first three or four years of the show that basically whenever we came back into the writing room, the first day would people would be people looking at me pathetically as I tried to write a timeline for what happened <laughs> in the backyard. I mean, uh, I said, well, can we, let's at least start now. We'll know now because we'll start fresh and we'll know exactly who did what and when. But instead, we let's say, fine, let's. That's why one of the things I like about Eleven is that basically, it's thought out in a in a slightly different way than the than the than the first mystery is. In that, okay, fine. I know I've got her. I know I'm going to kill her. I know I have to make sure I can't account for some people, and I know I need to leave some loose ends, mm-hmm. um, such as the murder weapon and the cause of death and things like that. You had no uh, day 57 of November <laughs> to deal with at that point. Oh, please. Uh, <laughs> I, I was, yeah, I've been watching. How come it, the later it gets in the year, the shorter uh, Lucy's clothing got? Yeah. Um, yeah. We were in, yeah. You can't go over the calendar on us. But the whole idea was we knew we had 30 episodes. And we figured that that last season and a half would, would play pretty tight. Mm-hmm. And I think it does. I think it's like some. I think it's supposed to be somewhere between Labor Day and oh, election days in there. But I tried to say it was a special election in the summer. But I mean, <laughs> I we, you try the best you can. But it's a television show. I was gonna say it just occurred to me that it could very well be another long November with that election day because there's like a two week time limit at one point at the end of season six, and then I don't even well, know how long season seven takes place. Well, you got the whole victory cruise too. The victory cruise. The victory, the victory cruise and and going away on the victory cruise. Since yeah. I was, of course, now we do have we do have a um, uh, we do have precedent for basically you win an election and then you go golfing. Mm-hmm. So maybe that now makes sense. But actually, you know, it's actually when we cycle around, there's I I realize I've kind of uh, I, I 
I've now got a theory about the corruption level of, 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 of Rosewood politics, which, which kind of is partially my unified field theory for, for justifying things that mm. otherwise might not make very much sense. But at least, yeah, a lot of this, I mean, one of the cautionary things I was saying when we started is that you're going to hear a lot of the rationales I used, mm. which were not necessarily, not necessarily rationales used by other writers. Mm -hmm. uh just curious about your initial mystery there in 611 did you know at the time that mona was the killer i had a pretty strong feeling about it hmm. and uh i think we were trying to we were, there were some other as there were some other things discussed but i kind of kept my 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 counsel quiet i it just any way you turned it it kind of made sense mm -hmm. that it was Mona. Mm -hmm. And I think when I look at 611, and I think I'm, I, if you look at her in 611, you're pretty, you should have a pretty good idea. Mm -hmm. You don't quite know what happens, <clears throat> but you know something happened. And then um, I said this in, I said this in the room to the other writers. I said, well, I tell you what, let's, let's make it finitive. It's her. Let's give her an alibi because you know, that's the inverted, <clears throat> it's the inverted Agatha Christie rule, which is basically anybody who couldn't have done it, did it. Mm -hmm. So that's where, that's where the, the, the two crows and the phone call and uh, some missing time for Mona showed up. So can we, can we jump into the two crows real quick? Cause sure. Um, I have so it's many a delightful questions. place. I it, don't, it's, it's, it's the only time you ever see it open. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it seems certainly lively. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's yeah, it hasn't, they're hoping not to become too hip, <laughs> but they've got that great stationery. They got the great branding time yeah. for pie. Who came up with time for pie and where do the two crows get its name? Okay. Time for pie is actually the slogan of the four and 20 restaurants out here in Los Angeles. Okay. And the two crows, that's a little nod to, uh, to, to Norman Buckley, who told me a story once um, about where he lived and where he lived with, 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 with his partner, David, uh, that they were often visited by two very particular crows. Mm -hmm. and, and both Norman and David came to uh, equate uh, those, those two birds as, as, I don't know, well, crow, crows are pretty big in, in Native American. Mm -hmm. uh, mythology as well. They saw them as some kind of of, of spiritual animals. I don't want to over fussy it, but it was just something he normally would sometimes come in and say, I saw the two crows today mm -hmm. and there were two crows outside my house. So when it came time to name it, I just said, yeah, I wonder if this will clear. So I went with two crows and, I, and apparently Norman never noticed. I mentioned it to him the other night and it's the first he realized that's mm -hmm. what I had done. Which was kind of nice because, as you know, the whole point of television entertainment is just to send personal messages to your friends. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It definitely feels very Rosewood. Yeah, Two Crows. Well, I think what Marco really wanted to ask about the Two Crows Diner is how far away is it from the center of town in <laughs> <It's>, Rosewood? <sighs> okay, let's. Okay, it is exactly far enough away that you could go to the ladies' room, take the tunnel, go to the <laughs> church, play the scene with with uh with charlotte mm -hmm. um witness her witness her death and then throw her out the window and then get back without anyone noticing or just making a cutesy comment to your waitress about oh it's just my ibs <laughs> yeah or like boy i mean i could, didn't have a quarter i couldn't get in um 
that lock was really tricky. <laughs> and but it's like it's like the thing with the the thing with the passageway under there. And I think I think Brian and I talked about this a lot. I know I know we brought it up in in the in the room at at some point, but we never addressed it. Uh, it's somewhere, some along the line. It was either me turn, looking at Brian or Brian looking at me and saying, "Well, you know, there has to be." just a rat warrant of tunnels under this town because hmm. there's actually no way you can explain all the stuff unless you accept the fact that this is in place. That could tie into the, uh, the political corruption and, you know, perhaps the secret society and the mayor and all that, I suppose. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I kind of backed into, here's the thing is I think, I think that the basic tunnel structure under there, and it's fairly sophisticated, um, dates back to the 30s and dates back to prohibition. Oh, okay. Okay. And uh, dates back to some other corruption too. Uh, so that, I mean, we've hinted on this. I mean, I've. It's funny. I I when I when I was moving it around in my head before we talked. I said, well, I seem to think, I think of the underground structure as a, as a transportation system. And, and Marlene was much more interested in there being actual kind of like subterranean things like mm. the bunker mm. Mm. Okay. and the dollhouse. But here, I, I got, we can back into this or we can talk about this now. But my sense of corruption of the town actually just appeared when I started to really, I've always knew that Radley was tremendously corrupt. <laughs> and I would get into this sometimes with Janelle and, and I really never got the other writers to come completely on board with me, but I never thought Radley was a legitimate hospital. <laughs> I thought, and I know it's, I think in the books, it's a 19th century operation and we kind of made some 19th century noises about it but i noticed the other day when i saw the the, the prop piece that it says founded in 1931 i think that place was totally crooked from the get-go okay. that it was never a legitimate hospital it was a place where rich people put inconvenient family members kind of like a victorian era wellness Very, yeah, place that would be, yeah I mean, that if there was a drunk, if there was a bastard, if there was a gay kid, if there was a gender nonconforming kid, it's just a checklist of people who have ended up going to Radley, uh, was that you could, uh, you could write a check and uh, they take care of it for you. I don't know, and the reason it's kind of bad, I don't know how you explain how badly run it was <laughs> otherwise, and that 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 people would come and go, that there would be all these things going on, mm -hmm. that, that they would lose track of patients, that they would lose track of, of people and responsibility, that they, would, that they would cover it up. And so in my mind, it was always never a legitimate place. And it's interesting, the, the, uh, Janelle was the one who kind of gave me pushback on it because of, and I'm not quite sure why. So nobody really came on board with me. But if you look every... I've never treated it like a real place. Mm, okay. And whenever, and when they think, when the thing finally started to fall apart and there was a corporate takeover, mm -hmm. you notice as soon as one of the, as soon as that company got in there and opened the books, they got rid of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They spared it. And I think that corrupt industry was at the core of the corruption of, of Rosewood itself, because the only way you can explain how incompetent that town is, is that it's corrupt. How do you misplace bodies? 
How do you misidentify corpses? How do you bungle so many investigations? How do you let so many people walk away from you? And, you know, and I remind, you know, and I remind people every time, every time Tanner comes back that she's coming back because she's not Rosewood PD. She was always identified as, as a special investigator from the attorney general's office from the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Hmm. The state knew there was something. Yeah, she was. I mean, it got a little muddy after a while, mm-hmm. but she was she was always the person who was sent in there to ostensibly find out what the hell's going on and didn't trust anyone there. Rightly so. And I think it's like when you, you know, and then Judge Khan and how babies get exchanged. And it's like, wow, this whole place is just, it's, you know, it's the tunnels just become symbolic of, of the corruption the whole place is real with. You can't see my face when I'm fucking riveted. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, so I don't know how much of this is actually putting things together afterwards or the fact that we built this stuff as we were going along. Mm-hmm. But I guess a, a little, a little thinking about having this conversation and a little thinking about, about how, um, how the show is coming to an end and what, and what we, what we had, what we had built and what we had improvised and what, and what parts of that improvisation actually became solid that we could lean on. But I ended up with like two, two big things, which is basically says it was always the girls against the town. Mm-hmm. Um, and that at the, you know, and at the core of the girls against the town was Allie against her own family. I'm kind of amazed that we never met the mayor, you know, you know, it's weird. I think that's one. I guess they must be very good <laughs> because I didn't, I got to tell you, I always knew Radley was corrupt and it took me a long time to realize, Oh, wait a minute. It must be the town. It must be, it must be judge Khan who we never saw. It must be, it must be the whole place. The whole place must've been some kind of, you know, you know, some kind of crime thing in the thirties. You know, I, I didn't know. I, I didn't know if there was a lot of organized crime in Pennsylvania. A lot of Russian mob in Rosewood. We <laughs> yeah. know that. I, I'm just fascinated because you've got, on one hand, I'm picturing like this place doing like hysteria experiments or whatever once upon a time. But then I'm just thinking about everything you're saying about the mayor. Like, I just want to say the mayor is probably the villain of season eight of PLL <laughs> or whatever. But like Spencer interned yeah. in his office in the pilot we hear about. So it's like it's potentially all there from the beginning. It, it, had you gone that direction. It is, but it's like it's it's <clears throat> God knows what would happen if we had. But I mean, I never noticed it, and I'm part of it is just a practical thing. It's when, when, when things get that wonky. I gave it to uh, I gave it to Roma Mafia. She says uh, uh, homicide investigations tend to get less complicated as you work them. Mm-hmm. If they start getting more complicated, somebody's doing something. Now the problem with the problem with with Tanner is that she th- still thought of that town in, in until the last time I wrote for her. She still thought of that town as being a normal town and this being a, a quasi normal crime. Mm-hmm. But she came around. Speaking of Tanner, she uh, initially appeared along with Detective Holbrook. Yes, he seemed to uh, I don't know perhaps go native in Rosewood. What <laughs> happened to him? I, you know, Holbrook is, um, Holbrook represents to me one of the places where, where I get, I, if I had, here's it, I'll, I'll finish one of these sentences. Um, (laughs) if I had gotten my way on everything that I resisted doing on the show, we would have been gone so fast. It wouldn't be funny. 
because everything I resisted was something big and and bold and very odd that actually extended the life of the show. Hmm. Things like the Holbrook, things like things like Holbrook, things like um, Ezra knowing everything about about Ali and and uh, and Arya before he sat down in the bar in the in the pilot. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, where every time we went back and modified a backstory in order to have something to write, um, it always gave me the whimwhams, but we went, you know, <laughs> it was a strange experience. It bought it. Sometimes it would bother you and then it would bother you less. And then you just try and figure out how to write it mm-hmm. in a way that you could go down to the stage and everyone, and no one would, would throw paper cups at you. <laughs> the terrible problem we had <laughs> Maybe that's true. Maybe you you do if you think you understand Rosewood, Rosewood will win. I guess that's maybe part of the Stephen King of it mm-hmm. that you undervalue, you overestimate yourself. There's a throwaway line in Robert Wise's The Haunting. Uh, someone says, you know, says, you know, there are rules to there there are rules in, in the supernatural, and and somebody says, what are they? And I say, well, you know, you won't know what they are until you break them. And which is followed very closely by a closed a closed mind is no defense against the uh, the supernatural. You're likely to have that door pulled off its hinges. <laughs> a great script that movie's got. So yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's the whole town. Maybe it's just bad. Maybe there's I don't know. Maybe it's H.P. Lovecraft. Maybe there's a meteor under there somewhere. It's the only thing we didn't say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just a literal hell mouth. The the same people who built Hill House clearly built the Radley. Well, that's the you know that was the beauty of the Radley, and was that I mean I, I don't think any of us knew what the Radley would become, mm-hmm. uh, and and like so many aspects of the show, uh, things happened that exerted a gravity on us that we did not consciously do it. But I mean, how many? I mean, it became conscious after a while, but initially the fact that people were commenting on how everything leads back to the Radley. It became, you know, it became a litany mm-hmm. at one point, and everything did. And even when it stopped being the Radley, it was still the Radley. I mean, I was thinking back, you know, someone was asking me about this, the stuff they find downstairs in season six, mm-hmm. the, the other tunnels and the false walls. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, what's, you know, what's your justification for that? And I said, well, they moved the headstones, but they didn't move the bodies. It's they just they just cover up their mistakes. They just covered up their mistakes and they just lied and lied and lied. And they never talked about the terrible things they did to not just not just Charlotte, but to probably everybody else who's in there. Yeah. I'm picturing these like secret society meetings with like Judge Khan and Peter Hastings and and others, the mayor and like black robes with like antler masks on or Uh, something. uh, Pig mask, yeah, I do. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I don't. I, I, my, my, my tendency is to embrace a more banal version of evil. So I think they just kind of like got together, mm-hmm. and yeah. and you know, togas and, and whipping each other. Yeah, again, you're. I, I, <laughs> I, my 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 image of evil is much more sinister than yours. Okay, <laughs> you can't pick them out. You know, it's like no, it's that nice guy over there with it with it. You know, with with some of with some of Byron's really good scotch. Yeah, cigars and scotch. You know, it's like you know, we are. You know, it's it's that. I see the more. I see. I see it more like the Gilded Age. Hmm. I see it more. You know, 
the ladies, the ladies will leave now, and we'll have cigars and 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 discuss the fate of these people and how how much money are we making and how do we keep it. Well, I, was, I mean, so much of that just makes me think about how great this show is. But like uh, Tanner, who I love from the moment of, uh, <laughs> is there a lot of Russian mafia activity? But the speech you're talking about, if you don't love Tanner by the point that she points out to typical Rosewood male Byron. Montgomery that murder ex- uh, investigations should get less complicated. He is the perfect example that a person guy to be on the other half of that conversation because everything in this system benefits him. Why would he yep. ever question any of this? And uh, he is, and she is, she is actually the, the speech before that is like even worse mm-hmm. in terms of that, where he basically, she, she basically says, I am appalled at the lack of curiosity. Yeah. <laughs> and, and if you're in power, you don't have curiosity. Mm-hmm. You don't want people to think so. She, I mean, again, it's like it's it's like her. She, we playfully, I, I think I think we all have thought of her a little bit as Columbo, mm-hmm. um, but I, you know, but I don't mean that to minimize the character because if you look at what Levinson and Link were doing with that character, it, it's you know those are not this. Yes, they are Ellery Queen puzzles, but they are almost all the most successful Columbo episodes are tremendous class warfare mm-hmm. plays. It is somebody who thinks it is entitlement. Um, it is entitlement against, against drudgery and, and Levinson and Link. I think they've said that they had a lot, they had a little Dostoevsky in mind when they wrote it, but uh, that's <laughs> why, but that's why it's a great attitude. I'm not going to be fooled. I know who you are. I know you want to protect power. Mm-hmm. I think she came, I think she came in there and thought, well, this is just the next, these girls are just the next generation of this town's power structure. Mm-hmm. And if I don't do anything about it, <laughs> only we who guard the mystery shall be unhappy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's again, it's like it's and she knows she knows and they know she knows. She sits down across from Emily and says, the whole when you weren't here, nothing happened. Yeah, you came back. Lots of murder. But when you you all came back, isn't that interesting? (laughs) Which is the true kind of Peter Faulkner. Don't you find that interesting? I wish she had her own show. Oh, I She's just glorious. I'm so <laughs> glad we got her back for the end of it. She was perfect to to cap it. I think. I went, you know, we the the night shoot with the with the uh, with the bulldozer, <laughs> and and after we, we after we shot it, I, I hadn't said too much about it beforehand. But I went up to her standing by the bulldozer, and I said, "I thought you deserved an entrance." <laughs> she said, "Thank you." <laughs> Speaking of Tanner, I have just minor nitpicky questions. Um, does Tanner know that Spencer is Mary Drake's daughter? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I don't think that's that that's that kind of that's that badly constricted piece of information now. Okay, wasn't yeah. sure if Marco she, kept that to himself or not. Mm, <laughs> no, I think she knows everything. There's a and this is it's not in the, it's not a line that's missing. It's a line I changed. Hmm. Um, at the end, when um, when Spencer asks uh, Tanner, "Do you think do you think Mary Drake killed uh, Dunhill?" and and Tanner says, "What I believe and what I can prove are two different things." The original line was, "I was it. I can't remember it now because I changed it very early on." Was it Tanner indicates that she had a. Ve- she had a very long talk 
with Mary Drake. Mm. And the line, the last line of the speech was, she told me a lot of things. Not everything she told me is either in her statement or in my report. Mm. Um, and Marlene was afraid that it, that, that opened up more things than it closed off. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, and I, I, I agreed, but at the same time, I, I wanted, I was concerned that you wouldn't understand why Tanner had decided that it was time to end this. And this was how I could end this. And I will give these girls this break. Mm -hmm. I know what I am doing and I want them to know what I'm doing, but. Officer Barry Maple needed to walk up to her and say, forget about it, Tanner. It's Rosewood. <laughs> Fred, yeah. That's the only thing that's missing I, that either that or based or like, or like, or like Tanner getting in her car, opening a bottle, just taking a slug in and driving <laughs> off. Maybe she's on the same. Yeah, I don't know, maybe she's on this. Maybe she's actually following AD in the car. I don't know. Maybe they run into each other. <laughs> it's interesting. Some people think it's a sunset. That's a sunrise. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That that seemed clear to me at least. Yeah, because it's the longest night of all time. Mm -hmm. It is the it is the longest night of all time. It there starts a, at four a.m. <laughs> it's yeah, I know, but it's like well, Charlie and I fairly early in the in the in the seven process. Mm -hmm when we were talking, when it was clear that I was going to do 19, he was going to do 18. Um, and we talked and Marlene agreed to this because I think it gave her uh, the freedom that she felt she needed in order to do the finale is that Charlie and I said, well, the, well, 18 and 19 have to be hardwired together hmm. and they have to take care of as much business as we can take care of. So, so that my feeling, my feeling about, about 90 now is basically it's a halftime show. I had to get out on the field, entertain people for a while, and then somehow manage to get everything off the field in time to, to resume play. Mm -hmm. So, um, so, so we wanted to hardware the two of them together. We wanted to clean up as much of the mystery as we possibly could. So it also, also if, and my, and the selling point for Marlene was, I said, I said, if we clean up the mystery now, People are going to be so freaked out about what you're going to do next week. Mm -hmm. So we went. So we went ahead and we uh, we done did it that way. I will tell you, if we had unlimited resources and unlimited time and unlimited money, you you would have seen a scene that you didn't see at the end of eighteen, mm -hmm. which was which because Charlie uh, Charlie and I talked about this, and there was an original version of that where Arya gets locked out of the trunk, but she can't get in, but then she drops the keys and the cop doesn't show up right away. We were, it's interesting because Charlie talks about like, he actually, he actually worked on, on one of the reboots of Alfred Hitchcock Presents. We said, we were going to do this Alfred Hitchcock Presents thing where basically poor Lucy has to crawl through the back of a car. Oh, okay. We're, yeah, we are going to put her in the back. Like she over the body. <laughs> Right. She'd have to go in the back of the car. She'd have to pull the back seat out and she would have to crawl into the trunk to get the keys. And while she was in the trunk, in the dark, the body, that's when the cop would knock on the, on the hood and say, <laughs> can I help? Can I help you? And we just didn't have the time and resources to do it all the way. But it would have been extremely cool. You can't travel yeah. far enough to get away from a necrophilia rap. <laughs> it's tough. It's it's tough. Okay, I li I like that. I like the like callback to the Halloween train. This, oh. time, this time Arya chooses, <laughs> essentially, the climbing of the body. You gotta, you know, 
please. I mean, the funny, the, the, the Halloween train, I, when I handed in that script, uh, the network, it actually was the network says, why, why are you talking so much? Why is every scene over this coffin? Why, why is everyone always tr- stopping here and drinking sodas? And I said, just read the rest of the script. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, oh, okay, we're sorry. Also, here's a DVD of Rope. <laughs> here's a DVD of Rope. Well, there, you know, again, that's like, you know, Hitchcock was more in our DNA, that I think, than in anything else. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's it's basically frenzy with the trunk, right? It's yeah, it's interesting. I mean, like you're what you're what you're hitting on is something that we these references and and the homages sometimes. What's the difference between deliberate and conscious? Hmm. I mean, we knew what we were doing, but I sometimes was surprised to see that we did make a, a particular reference. Hmm. Um. To me, yeah, if, if uh, it's more frenzy in, you know, there's a closer of the vodka bottle, mm-hmm. and that feels that feels more like frenzy. But I, again, it's like it's not really. I don't know if you can call it a, a homage because there's not a lot of people who remember frenzy that well, or rope for that matter. Mm-hmm. It's just that basically that that kind of pictorial storytelling stuck in our minds and became this thing that we that 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 somehow started to organically or inorganically happen. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, I mean, it happened all the time. In what, in what I'm sure is now rapidly becoming the infamous dream sequence of, <laughs> of, and I do mean infamous, you know, I got together with, you know, with Larry and with, with E4 the, and, and Electric and Props and everybody was just, well, look, this is, this is what we're going to do now. Um, but I want to really do something in the camera that's really weird. And I said, I, I don't want to do an optical thing. So I'd love it when she comes in, if we could just kind of like totally screw the lighting and go non-realistic and, and, and go with a really startling color we haven't seen before. Mm-hmm. And Larry understood what I was saying. So we, you know, so they made this decision and we tried it and actually it was, um, uh, our on set prop guy came in and looked at the light change. He had not been there when we had rehearsed it. And he looked at the light change and he said, Oh, that's vertigo green. And I realized, yeah, actually it is. It's the green of the hotel room, uh, at the, at, uh, in the last act of uh, vertigo. I didn't ask for it. I don't know if Larry did it on purpose. That's the kind of thing he would do, Mm -hmm. but stuff like that crept in. Interesting. But we could take, we'll take credit for anything that looks good. Well, I mean, I mean, won't go into it up here, of course, but like if you've oh, ever watched Vertigo, like colors are a huge part of the storytelling of that. But it's the perfect time to subconsciously reference Vertigo when you have the bell tower, <laughs> people being thrown to their death or not. Yeah, thrown to their death. I mean, I don't even know. I don't even know how we ended up in the. I think that I think Vertigo in, uh, was the reason that we first went in, into the bell tower and and season one. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Is it season one that that? That, yeah, that Ian. Yeah. That Ian takes a fall. I mean, and that's is that so is that the end of season? When do the girls come out and he's and Ian's gone? Is that the that's no, the, that must be the end of one. End that's of season actual, one. Yeah. End of season one. But we kind of, you know, we had the bell tower. Although I think we actually went through about four bell towers in the space of the show. I think <laughs> I know the first one was not the second one, and then and then it was just but then we said I then we said I think I better hold this set. <laughs> but yeah, it's the bell tower. How could you not? understand the bell tower mm-hmm. and and how important this, this place is this strange space where you you know 
It's the other thing too is when I when we set up this little ass shot of 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 Mona's when Mona tells uh, the, everybody in that Lost Woods what actually happened to the bell tower, and we pull out through the bell tower out through the window. Yeah, I mean, I had not. I said I want to pull out through the window, <clears throat> but it wasn't until I saw it on a monitor I realized that oh, that the shot actually favors actually cants a little bit to one side. So it's like it's you expose the space where Jimmy Stewart should have been standing. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, no, I don't think he's going to notice it, but yeah, that's, and again, it took me a long time to realize that, that the end of Vertigo is a happy ending. And that in a strange way, this is a happy ending too. I was convinced that you were going to have a nun walk out with Mona and be like, I heard voices. <laughs> Couldn't quite. Oh, please. It was, uh, it was that, that, that sequence works at all is a, is a great, a tribute to 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 Bob who who cut it. We it was it was a production was very tight on that episode for, for a variety of reasons. Being that well, we didn't have that many episodes left, so they actually knew how much money we had. <laughs> I had a question about the cutting of that. There's a there's a shot that gets cut to. I think it's in the first flashback where we're kind of pulling away and going down the stairs watching Charlotte and Mona there, it really made it seem like perhaps there's another presence there. Was that intentional? Which shot is that? It's... Oh, you mean, oh, you mean in the, oh, I know the one you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, not intentionally. Okay. The one that, the one that, why did, is that why you came here to give me flowers? Yeah, it's in the Luma Crane is moving and it's mm-hmm. just, it's just about to cover. And then I think we cut uh, to Caleb mm-hmm. coming in in the present day, yeah. No, that's a that's a little later. That's a little later because okay, that was because that was that was actually that was tricky because because production was so tight and it was an awkward set and it, literally I had Vanessa for a few hours. Mm-hmm. We were actually actually it was actually at that point seven twenty had started production on one stage and I was on another stage trying to finish uh, seven nineteen. And and literally, uh, uh, Vanessa was going back and forth hmm. uh, between you know between us. Okay, yeah, because I I just remember watching in the, in the first of the two flashbacks, it seemed like there could potentially be like another wrinkle yet to come, uh, just with some of the ways it was edited and some of the stuff like you know you're not going to trick me again that sort of thing. Well, not going to you see not going to trick me again is that actually warns you that what you saw isn't the whole story. Mm-hmm. Um, at least that's why I wrote it that way. And it's like, it's, I didn't, the thing I didn't have, to, oh, you're not supposed to tell people what you didn't do. Then they'll see it. <laughs> I wish I had had a little more time uh, to, to, to shoot more of uh, Hannah's Jeopardy. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, that, that sequence is, is a masterpiece of editing. If it if it works at all, it's a masterpiece of editing. I think it if it, it works, but it's more like of a comedic moment, at least to me, when like Mona just suddenly grabs her and tries to push her. Yeah, I just you know I'm I'm not it functions. Mm-hmm. Um, it was that's not quite how I conceived it, <laughs> and I you know and I'm going to go around now to everybody's house and knock on their door and explain that, and somehow that'll make it better. Uh, <laughs> I just have to say, I appreciate that in that moment, as you're calling back to so many things that are worth calling back to. Again, hit Hannah the Hitchcock Blonde gets mistaken for one of the other like five yeah. Hitchcock Blondes yeah. on the show. I think the other thing, yeah, uh, it's I'm really I'm happy with the Bell Tower. I'm happy with all the stuff in the Bell Tower. I could have stayed there. I could have stayed there all day and shot a lot more, and they would have arrested me. <laughs> <laughs> 
but it was God. Uh, Janelle was great. Vanessa was great. Wow. Uh, so, and, 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 and so as we there's stunt doubles, but, um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, 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 I'm happy with it. I, I've, as I said, I've stayed away from, uh, the social uh, media cause I really, I knew what I was doing and I knew why I was doing it. Um, and I also knew it could, might, it might very well be misunderstood, mm-hmm. but I couldn't, it was a little late. I, I, there was a time when uh, Marlene and I talked a lot about about what Mona does up there, and and I remember having a conversation with Marlene, who, you know, I, my feeling was basically, however she wanted to go with this is how we were going to go with this. Um, and I I said to Marlene, I says you, you you this was out at outline I think, I said if you look at this now, there is a way to do this, where 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 Mona does not intend to kill her. And Marlene understood that. And I'm glad she did. Because, look, after Mona throws Charlotte down on the ground, Charlotte could walk away. Mm -hmm. You know, what is, what really, what is Mona going to do? She's had this little thing here and she's had her little speech, I've scared you as much as you scared me. But Charlotte's still a winner. All she has to do is, all she has to do is get up and walk away. But in that moment, I think she doesn't think she gets another plan, which is basically, yes, but you know what? Mona's always going to be a danger to me. Hmm. I, it's, I'll be able to, if I get, I can throw Mona out this bell tower right now, and people will believe anything I say. Hmm. Okay. And, and, you know, and I will really have won. Not only have I won the game, but I've won the story. Mm-hmm. So Charlotte's mistake is she she tries to kill uh, she tries to kill Mona. It doesn't work out. Well, it seemed to me at least that there was kind of a, a dichotomy presented between those two A's there, where one of them wasn't willing to go that far, and one of them was. Um, was that like an, an intentional kind of morality division between them or did it just kind I think of work so. out that way? I mean, you know what? I don't know if it's intentional, but it's certainly the way it worked out. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if, you, I don't know if you ask people what, if they would tell you that they think that that Charlotte's intention was to kill her. I mean, really, why is she hitting her? Why is Charlotte? I mean, like we, there was a discussion about the finale with everybody because we were in this kind of touchy area about what we were doing and and in terms of like how bad is charlotte and i said well i can i can tell you how bad she is and so you know i got together and i wrote this thing and i talked to Ben and i said to vanessa i said this is she's just she's not you know i took that from you i did that and she i said just make it really small just just tell her what you've done to them and how you're going to do worse. One of my favorite things in there is basically, and I and I kind of like the fact that there's so much sucker set up, where she keeps keeps going over to the open door, mm-hmm. and pushing it wider open. Mm-hmm. And I think my favorite, my two favorite Vanessa lines are are in that scene, which is basically, "God, how I hate this town. I suppose I'll have to do something about that now." And the fact that in the middle of killing someone, you stop to say they will never love you. Yeah, yeah, she's definitely cruel. That's not nice. Well, she's she fantastic gets... in the scene. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And again, this is a woman who flew in to do these scenes, and quite literally, when I finished 
unless I've got this backwards because it was a it was a very long couple of days. I literally think I cut and they just grabbed her off the set to take <laughs> her put her on a plane back to New York. Wow. Speaking of Charlotte, did have a little bit of question about that character and her her pseudonym. Is Drake yeah. Jessica's maiden name? Yes. Okay. As far as I know, it is. I think that's that. I think that's how that tracks. So would it would it be uh, reasonable to assume that? Charlotte picked the name CC Drake because she knew that and that was just a convenient pseudonym. She must have. I mean, she how could she it's not I don't know how you get to a coincidence like that. <laughs> okay. Feeling good. Two for two here, folks. <laughs> yeah. Now, that does I, but however, there's some there's probably something lurking around somewhere in some episode where somebody who should have figured that out didn't figure it out. Hmm. I mean, if anyone ever said, well, there's, well, please, the, the dealer at this family has a, uh, is not only emotionally cruel and vindictive, but I think they also have very poor eyesight <laughs> in terms of like, they don't notice things and they don't put two and two together. But that's, you know, actually all the problems in the world are the dealer at this family, mm-hmm. the way they treated their children. Yeah. Ken, real son of a bitch. Ken, who of course he's off somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Where is he, Ken? He's part of the secret society. I'm sure. I, oh, sure. No, you know something? Never got in it. I would mm. say he's they would, they would the most, the most junior member, if he is. Yeah, he was like, he was the guy who wanted to get in. Peter Hastings vetoed. Hastings wouldn't let him in. So Hastings would be, for realsies, he'd be in that group, right? Oh, totally. I mean, he'd he's be in the in there, but, Shut Club. He'd be in there, but, yeah, he'd be in there, but nobody would know he was there. He's the, uh, he's the Sydney, uh, oh, who's the guy I'm thinking of? Sydney, not Sydney, uh, oh Sydney Pollock. Sydney Pollock, yeah, he's a Sydney Pollock. <laughs> yeah, he could be a Sydney Lumet too, but I think it wouldn't make any sense in this context. <laughs> true, true, true. I, I everything you say about Charlotte's fascinating, just because one, she hates this town, she could do something about that. She and uh, Tanner could really uh, pull the lid off that uh, that conspiracy. But for, I, yeah, for two A's who love toying with their food before they kill it, I just love that she's like, no, Mona, you're not even worth toying with anymore no you just i've this is like i think i think her decision process is basically is i can't count on let me just throw her out the window <laughs> i don't want town's only it's big a, enough for one a i get yeah i get you know I, I i get full rain and and she bucks up my story and i don't have to worry about her i'm i'm, I'm see it's a win-win here for me hmm. and if you think about it it would have it would have worked so we notice in Farewell, My Lovely, we get another uh, introduction of the wine bottle with a message in it. Does Mary yeah. Drake have to drink the whole bottle each time before she leaves a new she, message? I don't think she has to. I just think she does. <laughs> uh, uh, I think it's, uh, I hadn't thought about that. I mean, I was just, again, it's like, it's one of those things like, I was so glad I did the wine bottle thing in 15 Mm -hmm. so that I didn't have to, I didn't have to explain anything Mm, about, about how, uh, Spencer shows up someplace. All I had to do was show a wine bottle. Mm -hmm. Oh, thank God. (laughs) But it never, but no, foolishly, it never occurred to me that you had to drink the wine. Maybe she set out glasses and they've been they were just and they were just like drinking it during the scene and no one noticed the bottle it seems like she's seemingly always just right out there in the in the dark but somewhere waiting she's, so. she's right out well she's well she maybe she knows where some of the tunnels are i, I don't know a tunnel into the hastings wine cellar there you go they didn't even know they had a wine cellar <laughs> talk about a dark horse addition to like the plo wine moms like book club oh. mary just showed up with a fresh bottle 
Yeah, yeah. And you did. Where'd this come from? Oh, don't sorry. There's a note in the bottle. I don't think there's. Do they? Do we get a corkage fee or a message fee for this? <laughs> but it was like, I mean, there you are. I mean, like, it's like, it's like we. You know, I think one of the reasons that the show lasted seven years is that we did have access to all this melodramatic material, but we knew exactly how hard to hit it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that we could, I mean, I did not try, I mean, I know a couple of shows tried to copy us, but they just couldn't, they, nobody's figured it out yet. There's a secret sauce. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think there's a secret sauce and it may just very well be, you know, there's a lot to be said for lightning in a bottle. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I was thinking that it's, you know, first of all, you, 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 you got a network that wanted to do it. You got the, somebody with the brains to ask Marlene to come in and, and, and crack something, which I think three other writers failed to crack. Hmm. By my count, I think there was a, there was at least one other pilot. Oh, interesting. And and but there was just tenacious executives at, at ABC Family who thought there was something there. Like shot and produced or just written? I boy, I don't know. I think there was a shot pilot wow. at the CW, but I don't know. I heard I have heard stories of these pilots that there was a college version. Nobody understood what the core of the show was, and I think between I think the reason I think. Like I know any of this stuff. This is all my guesses. <laughs> I I think Freeform or ABC Family or whatever it was called that week, um, they went to Marlene because of now and again, mm-hmm. now and then, yeah, now and now and again, um, because they realized that that there was this core friendship, and they always stressed that to us. It made us crazy in the first year until we realized they were absolutely right. That they have to be friends. That this is the and that is, that was the first wave of information that came back from social media. I wish my friends were like this. Hmm. I wish I had friends like this. That's interesting because that's probably the biggest change from the books is that they're not really friends in the books. No, it's the and you're, yeah, you're right, and that's something that Marlene changed. And I mean, I kind of stopped reading. I read four or five of them. Mm-hmm. Then I felt we, I, we were diverged so far, right. uh, and we were going and we were mining. You know, we were bringing in so many new characters. But again, it's like here's the here's the weird throwback. I don't know if we've talked about this, but but way back in the late 1850s, during the during the during the Reconstruction era after the Civil War, when I worked on Thirty Something, <laughs> we would get that kind of mail. I wish my friends were like this. I wish I had friends like this I could talk to. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh. There's some lonely people out there. <laughs> but now, I think that now you have that proved by the internet. <laughs> fortunately, thank goodness the internet's finally good. Come for to stuff. Brazil. <laughs> oh, we'd love to. I mean, yeah. If you if you pay for the if you pay for the yeah, you pay the airfare, we'll come. They don't want the writers, they just want the ladies. Yeah. They want them actors. It's like Joe Gillis and you know, people, you know, people think the actors just make it up anyway. <laughs> All right, so we got to ask you about the the infamous flash forward dream sequence. There, uh, I think Marlene mentioned in an interview she did recently that uh, when you guys put that into six ten, you didn't know where you're going with it. At, at what point did it become clear to you that the only way it was going to work was a dream sequence? I am so glad that Marlene outed herself on that because I couldn't. <laughs> it was making me crazy. Um, I um, I remember when when she brought in. The end of it because it's the end of it's the end of six ten mm-hmm. and um, it was it wasn't 
the first draft of it I saw was huge. I mean, literally, it was, I think it was in someone's house. And gun cases were ripped open. And, oh. and the girls, and they were arming themselves and getting in cars and driving off. And <laughs> they posse it up. Yeah, they posse it up. And I'm, and I'm saying, wow, that's, what is this? And, um, I think we, we had certain trepidations. <laughs> I think it's like, I think that was more, no, Ron Long, I think she, I don't know if Marlene directed that herself. Um, she must have, because Ron Logomore seemed to directed the next one, we think. It was the thing in the middle of the room that no one talked about. Mm-hmm. When are we going to deal with this? Because the sooner we deal with it, the sooner we can deal with it. And with it, and it just, it's a can that got kicked down the road until there wasn't any more road. Did you guys eventually have to draw lots to see who would deal with it? I don't think so. I think it was, it just, it, it, it I, I was not surprised when I, when I ended up with it. <laughs> <laughs> I said, okay, somebody's got to do it. Somebody's, somebody's, somebody's got to take, take this out. Let's, uh, let's see what we can do with it. I mean, um, I, I think it's great. I, I, well, thank, thank you. I mean, like uh, Char- Charlie loves it. I mean, I was really surprised. He said, "Because and well, that's because you know." Uh, and also, there was originally a much bigger blackboard. Hmm. I ran out of time again. I ran out of time. The shot was supposed to start on the other blackboard, and it was going to be all of these names that you, just from like from Hitchcock. You know, Marion Crane was going to be up there, and hmm. everybody was going to be up there. As it is, we just ended up with Emma Thorwall, and then. Uh, but again, it's like my, my, I say to people without, without, if you don't like it, you can ignore it. <laughs> really. Not too if, much of an if, impact. Yeah. If you don't like it, then it's just Emily. It's just Emily waking up after getting gassed. <laughs> um, it's just this, you know, wow. Well, you know, and again, I, I probably, there's a time I would not have put like a gas jet in the fireplace, but it's just kind of like, well, let's have some. Of course, of course, there's a gas jet in the fireplace. Uh, what I was my first production meeting was they said, when did when was this built in? And I said, well, it's not built in. I think fans hear like most romantic season and then they get that scene of these two affirming their love and how they're going to stick together through thick and thin, whatever happens next. But it's PLL. So, of course, you're going to pan over and there's gas hissing into the room. I mean, and I and again, it's like I mean, I, probably someone is saying, "Oh, he couldn't be nice to Emerson," and like he just couldn't be nice, could he? I said, oh, <laughs> please! And I love this shot too because it's 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 strictly speaking, it's an unmotivated camera move, but it's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. And then when you rack focus, it racks through the 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 great first, and then you find the little spigot, and I thought that's nice too. Well, and that is a very typical PLL shot. You know, a lot of scenes kind of end that way with the camera just kind of drifts off somewhere else. Um, that's kind of like the house style, but then it just keeps going and it's like, Oh look, there's gas. <laughs> well, that's, yeah. It's like, that, that's, that's all it's like, it's, you know, you're supposed to, you know, one of the first rules is what's motivating the camera move and there's really nothing motivating the camera move. So why are you doing that? Um, because you're going to go over to the gas spigot. <laughs> uh, also from farewell, my lovely, uh, we had Ezra with perhaps one of his, most memorable lines. I don't know. Uh, he, he has a couple. Yeah, he has a master's degree in American literature. He yes. can do anything. Yes, there's nothing he can't handle. Is Ezra being sarcastic or serious there? 
I think Ezra's being Ezra, okay. um, <laughs> uh, which is to say that basically, first of all, it's my, it's, it's my tribute to everyone who, who, who studies American literature. Okay. And, 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 and from a practical standpoint, if you have a master's degree in American literature, that means you know a lot of stuff that's happened in a lot of stories, including somewhere in your knowledge how to get rid of a body in a trunk. I think he is being, I think he's being Ezra. I think he hasn't the slightest idea of what he's going to do when he gets out there, but he's in love with this woman and he's going to let her decide how they're going to play this out. And don't ask me that question now. Ask me that question after we're in the car and I've had a chance to think about it. In the meantime, I have a master's degree in American literature. There's nothing I can't handle. It's the, uh, it's the fake it till you make it. You, Ezra throws out a classic, Ezra Bonmont. And then he has to go yeah. make it real. No, I mean, no, I mean, like, uh, listen, Ian asked me if it was supposed to be funny. I said, no, all you, it's just say it. He, <laughs> he true. plays it's it. He plays it so good. He's got this almost, it's not quite right. Almost like Roger Moore esque delivery <laughs> at times where it like, it just straddles oh, wow. like, okay. like, like insanity and like realism at the same time with charm. Um, I mean, because like you should hate Ezra, you should, but at the you same should. time, like Ian Harding is fantastic in this role. It's like I. Re- it's interesting. It's like I, he said, "How should I?" I said, just, and the other thing was, I, it was, I remember saying, "Just finish the move, turn around, plant yourself, and then say it. Don't, don't, don't toss it. You mean it." And I, I, and again, it's like it's like it's. You kind of understand why she likes him. <laughs> oh, okay. I'll forget about all that other writing stuff you did. That and the uh, tackling her into a tree five minutes earlier. <laughs> I loved the tackling into a tree. That was a that was a major that 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 actually. What do you think of tackling into a tree? Because actually, that's that shot shouldn't work, and I love the fact that it works. It's very jarring. It is jarring because it's a hundred and eighty degree cut, and and I I bemoaned it. I talked to Larry. I talked to Bob. I said, "Can I, can can this is so radical? I can actually jump hundred and eighty degrees." And they said, "Sure, try it," <laughs> and we could. Which again, and it's this beautiful little setup, which for like another, it's not a you know, it's and then two seconds later, uh, uh, Ezra walks into one of the finest propellers I've ever prepared. Which is there's absolutely nothing connecting me to what happened with Dunhill, mm-hmm. and Arya's saying his body's in the trunk of my car, <laughs> and you cut back to Ezra and you wait a beat and then you start the music. And it's interesting the studio note was, can you wait longer? <laughs> can we just see his big face hanging there, taking it in, and then start the music? So uh, Charlotte was you know more revealed than than ever before as the villain uh, in this episode. Was there ever any consideration of kind of backpedaling on that or kind of changing her circumstances after six ten? Well, I don't think so, because if you look at what goes on in, in the second half of season six, when you look at those, when you look at the flashbacks, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it seems clear to me that she was always that was a uh, Hail Mary play on the roof. Mm-hmm. Um. And that people who run again, that's a corrupt hospital too. And I don't even know the name of it. Um, no, Welby. <laughs> ah, it's Welby. Yes. Not, not very. I think, yes, it is. And we named it after Marcus Welby, which is mm-hmm. a terrible thing to do. But uh, I think she, she is, was consistently uh, uh, bad. 
um, that's what that was what, what I got. I mean, she was manipulating. She was doing all this stuff. There, you know, the decision, the decision that it was Charlotte and who Charlotte was and what Charlotte's backstory was, was going to be was made in the dim, dark days beyond recall. And after the decision was made, certainly some things in society overtook us. Mm-hmm. But that didn't mean the storytelling instincts were wrong or that we were wrong and that we shouldn't tell the story we wanted to tell. There was no desire to step back. This is a weird thing to talk about in a lot of ways, because I know a lot of people. I'm almost un, I'm almost I don't quite know how to talk about this without either sounding dismissive or condescending. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying not to sound either one. Mm-hmm. But I know this is serious stuff and in the context of a of this kind of entertainment it must we must we must look like careless people uh and i can assure you we were not careless when we did this um but we're just telling a story and even that i mean i don't know i i I doubt there's anything i could possibly say that could that could make uh the people who feel really bad feel better Mm -hmm. um but we need, but to that I say, please look at how Charlotte became Charlotte, which is look at how she was mistreated in her own family mm-hmm. and 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 in the institutions that followed. And it's not, you know, and and Ezra's not wrong when he says the only thing that, that makes you different from her is that she can't forgive. Maybe that's, you know, I don't, you know, I mean, did we we had no idea. Where you know, we didn't know where the world was going. Mm-hmm. I think the I think the thing that I don't even I don't even have the right to be offended. To think that people would think that we would do something hurtful, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's it's but it's so weird. It's it's weird to talk about it in a way that's respectful to people who have real concerns. Mm-hmm. I don't think and and we took there was a tremendous amount of heat. Um, but no, you know what? No, I'll tell you this: we never we. Uh, I was, I was, I, I was on a phone call and I was, no, we're not, we, we, we don't want to back them. This is the story we're telling. And we, it took us three years to set it up. Hmm. Now, I mean, I, I mean, like there's, <laughs> we've changed other things along the way, but this was just something we were going to change. I don't know. Am I digging myself a hole or, or getting out of a hole? I can't tell at this point. I, th- I think you're being respectful to, to the issues. I think it's, it's an issue of representation in that. With uh, there not being more representation of of trans people and and the issues they face, Charlotte looms larger. Yeah. Um. But I mean, I think you're right. It's it. There's definitely like there's the patriarchy. There's the way men control women's bodies. There's Ken. Um. Whether he's her dad, her uncle, or her uncle daddy. Um. He definitely even he didn't get into the Illuminati. He definitely represents you know their their beliefs. I'd, I'd blame it all on him. I mean, even if you, I'd be like, even in the flashbacks about like, that guy's looking to get that kid out of the house mm-hmm. any way he can. And, uh, you know, and you just see, I mean, like, I, I know, here's the, here's one of the things. Uh, there's a, there's a line, there's a, there's a thread rather, not a line that, that runs through Charlotte, which I think speaks to uh, how hurt she was. And that is the three that's the three appearances of the three switches. Mm-hmm. Okay. You see them, you know, you, you see them out of context in the bunker. 
but she uses it on the liars. You see the the old version of it in Bradley and realize this was used on her. Mm. And that's why she recreated it. And then they show up in the comic book. Yeah, yeah. Which means which means this was done to her as a very small child. Probably, you know, probably as some kind of aversion therapy. Speaking of that comic book um, and Arcturus, how did that come into play? Was that just the late edition, or I, was that something planned? You know what? I know it grew. I it drew it grew directly out of of discovering a connection between between Charlotte and uh, and Lucas. Mm, okay, I can't remember how we decided it was a comic book, but it just seemed such a it just seemed like such a perfect thing to find and to see their two names on it and say it was just a way instead of somebody saying oh yeah they knew each other like let's let's see if we can it's a it's a kind of a billy wilder thing it's like what else can this do mm-hmm. what other kind of what other information can we get about this and and the, the that's yeah they did this comic book together and again you see i think it's i think there's a lot that's revelatory in there about charlotte mm-hmm yeah, it's, it's all, it's interesting because you were just talking about the the influences you guys have that you don't realize end up on screen. And then there's her working through her story through comic book. But yeah, I'll tell you how, you, how it became a comic book. You guys are like, look at Lucas's apartment. Look at his teenage yeah, bedroom. Yeah. <laughs> look at this nerd's like life. Of course, it's a comic yeah, book. Of course, it's a comic book. That's, I mean, yeah. I mean, what, what, is that a decision? I mean, God, this is what Hannah says when she opens the box. Oh, surprise, comic books. <laughs> uh, one thing in our notes here. Uh, Spalib, Spencer and Caleb. Mm. This is the conversation I've been waiting to have all my life. Is it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, brother. What aspect of it are we talking about here? I just want to know how did this idea come about? Like all of it. Like I, I, I'm a big fan of it. I just wanted to get that off the table first. But just who, who walked in the room and said, let's do Spalib? I don't think it was that easy okay. uh, because it was because the other unspoken rule is you don't take the other, you don't take somebody else's boyfriend. Mm-hmm. True, true. And yeah, uh, and one of the things I want to talk about is how, how these relationships actually took on a gravitational force that was, in some cases, impossible for the writers to overcome. Mm-hmm. We talked a, a little bit about it because, again, it's like stories come from conflict, so you're going to have to throw a rock every once in a while. Um, and it, was, it grew out of the five-year jump. I was thinking about this the other day was really the spinoff we should have done was Caleb and Hannah in New York. <laughs> That's the show I think people might have wanted to see, but they, it would have been very painful for them because we would actually have been talking about how this relationship was working or not working, <laughs> which is why the views you get of it are as interesting as they are. Right. And, and I kind of like them and, the, and, the, and they're, I'm really happy about that scene between the two of them in the alley with the cat and that stuff. I think it was, there was, Clearly, chemistry uh, between the actors. If you look at that scene, oh God, um, when when they first work together on Maya's computer, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> that there's just a there's just a great playfulness and effortlessness in the way the two actors are talking to each other. That it was clear. Well, they seem to really like it. It's, uh, they're talking about sweaters. It's uh, <laughs> see, was it? And it was like, and then uh, I think. Again, I, I'm probably making this sound much more deliberate 
than it, than it, <laughs> than it was because it's in retrospect. But it was like, there's some chemistry here. Let's see what we get. And then it's things like, well, they broke up. And, and, and we know that Spencer broke up with Toby, whatever that was about. And she was on her own. And then, you know, the chance to do the scene in the hotel room in Barcelona, which was just mm-hmm. a joy to write for both of them. What do you want to do? Yeah. yeah, we could skip Casablanca. And then, you know, and then somebody starts yelling for their dog in the street and decide to go to dinner instead. From a pragmatic sort of place of view, it ended up being sexier than I thought we thought it was going to be. Oh, but yeah. it also ended up being uh, having some massively good potential from story from a story standpoint, mm-hmm. because and because of those three actors, mm-hmm. because that because of the way they came at that material, when we were breaking, uh, I don't remember the numbers of these darn things anymore. The one that my uh, Seven, uh, my, 704 is this is that is that Caleb at the door yeah yeah when we were breaking that and I was going off to write that I, I remember talking to Rohan and says oh god I envy you writing that scene <laughs> that is you are oh and she knocked that scene out of the park and then they came in and they did it and it's just okay it's a it's it's what it's it's the show is what the show is but you still want to do the best you can do, and you still want to give the actors something that's let them be honest, so they're not embarrassed to be standing there. Mm-hmm. And just, I thought, you know, Maya's script for that, I, I, I think we all talked about it. We, it was like, you know, it was not writer envy, but we all wished we had a chance to write that scene. Mm-hmm. She did a magnificent. I mean, I went, I said, you, that's just. And then I saw the cut. I said, holy cats. You, this is great stuff. And it's in, it's, it was a synergy. I, who, do you remember who directed the episode? Was it Melanie Mayron or someone? Uh, I can check. But it's that hit that and run, run, is, run. Is perfect, especially since you're just coming out of the dead body that they've buried on the side of the road. And it just yeah. sidelines you of how beautiful just, these three are. But I mean, that's, but I see that's, that's one of the, that's one of the things that gave us an advantage that other, shall we say, melodramas don't have is that we always had this, this armature of, of, of suspense and mystery mm-hmm. and danger. Um, we, yes, we had, you know, beautiful clothes and nice looking people and, 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 and witticisms and, and, and glasses of wine and kisses and, and making out, but, oh my God, the cops are coming. I mean, there's a reason why this stuff works. Yeah, so that was Michael Goy directed that episode. Michael Goy, okay, yeah. He's a very pictorial director, yeah. So, but was there ever any chance that that you'd get to 719 and Hannah and Caleb wouldn't be back together? I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. I mean, this is, this kind of goes to something. Uh, we can start talking about relationships now. It's like basically gravity you could not escape from mm-hmm. yeah it's but look at it and it's true and and I, I was thinking about this the other day and i think that's probably the real lesson uh of ravenswood in that we did not anticipate what would happen if we separated one of these relationships mm-hmm. i think that the final outcome on ravenswood would have been entirely different if it had been a completely freestanding series mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, from the, from the producers of, I can remember seeing stuff online where people were like, 
I'm not going to watch that show. And I would encourage everyone else not to watch the show because then Han and Caleb will get back together. It was like uh, a goal, you know, and a movement that people had. Well, it worked. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like, no, I think it's, it's at the time we, you know, if, but if we had, but if we had said, no, let's not spin somebody off. Let's, let's just say it's, let's just, do a ghost story that's from these producers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I think what, and, and if only we've been able to make it in, in Los Angeles, cause it was just, Oh yeah. We were just spread. So this it was like, like, like the March on Moscow, hmm. our supply lines were stretched too thin between Los Angeles and, and, and New Orleans. Right. But I really, yeah, but you know what, if we had just done that, as a freestanding show or sent like Jason. <laughs> I don't want to do that because there was like, you know, I mean, one of the great debates is, well, wait a minute. So this is a supernatural world here, but it's not a supernatural world here. Right. Right. You know, it's and, supernatural when you get the, the filter, the mm, desaturation. It, mm. Yeah. It's like, mm, do we really want to, why don't we just like do two different, well, it's a, it was, it was interesting. And many things, many things were learned. Mm-hmm. And 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 Tyler Blackburn was just just a soldier. He deserves every battle ribbon we can give him for for going down there and 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 showing up and making it happen. As, mm-hmm. You know, and this is why I'm, you know the I'll tell you the worst thing about Ravenswood. It made Tyler unavailable for the black and white episode. Oh, oh yeah. Also, they stole his hair. Yeah. They stole his hair. <laughs> he came back with short hair. It's yeah. never quite the yeah. same. Well, hair is very potent. <laughs> he fell in love with a ghost who had the same haircut as him, and just yeah. afterwards, you what, have to give the ghost a haircut. What would you? What, what was in your mind if uh, Caleb had been around for the shadow play? I'm not a hundred percent sure. Okay. I was thinking about that. I I thought, well, I thought I'd have to do something counter. I'd have to do something like like really opposite. Mm-hmm. So I think he'd have to be kind of not cool oh okay. he would have to be the not cool character yeah like scotch tape on the glasses close i was gonna i, I would put a i would have put glasses on he would have been like he would have been like the police tech oh, okay okay something like that but i but yeah but i i i know he wished he could have been in it and i wish that everyone else you know but yeah that's that's a big regret here's the thing tyler every single day of your life you get to be alan lad i need you to be jerry lewis for one week <laughs> or Elijah Cook Jr. Yeah, there you go. The gun mall. <laughs> yeah, you got to be like, yeah, you got to be like, well, I don't know. You want your way here? No, go over there. Toby just slapping him around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he gets a van. Yeah, 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 yeah. You get to be Clifton Webb. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm I'm here for that. See, there there you go. I could have put him, I could have put him in Clifton Webb's bathtub. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And had oh. Toby come in and do the beginning of Laura. You would never have to buy yourself a drink again. <laughs> I guess I should just write the scene now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Kindle worlds. Yeah. Hand me, hand, you know, right down to hand me my towel. <laughs> <laughs> One thing we wanted to ask you about in this latest season, in this half season in particular, uh, things got very high tech with a or, or a D um, with the game, with the kind of avataria appearance, the, the weird little black hoodie AR thing. How did that all come about? I think it, part of it kind of came about naturally. The reason we ended up 
with the little black hoodie on the game board and the augmented reality. That's that's mostly Charlie Craig bringing in that New Yorker magazine a couple of months ago, which had the which had the the AR cover. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Um, and we said, well, let's do let's let's do this. The the Avataria, I just didn't want I didn't want her talking to somebody like Jigsaw anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, well, aren't so I don't know if I don't know if we were going for technology, but we we're going for something different. Mm. Um, uh, because in the past, whenever we've chased technology, it hasn't worked. <laughs> like there was that period there at the beginning of season six when we were trying to try, the, we were missing Sherlock with the texts. Mm-hmm. And everybody hated it, hmm. and there was no reason to do it. And and you'll notice it just stops. But it's like, but the uh, but Avatar was basically. I said, well, look, it's it's just this it's just a it's just this creepy voice, and we've done this creepy voice, and we've done this hooded figure, but we have this massive tradition now of fluid identity and masks. Uh, why don't we just take that to the next level? You know, it, and we'll just take it to the next layer of Snapchat. Mm-hmm. And who else would Arya take orders from but herself? Basically, yeah. And I remember, and and Elijah wrote the episode ahead of, she wrote 714. And in the writer's room, we said, I think this is, you want to, do you want to take this? Do you want to do this? Um, and I think she thought it was, it was over, it was, as we like to say in the room, over egging the pudding. Because she had, she had the limousine scene and all that stuff. And that she thought it was maybe too much. Mm-hmm. And I said, and I said, well, I'm only offering this once. <laughs> uh, and, and part of it too, it was a desire to give Lucy something different to do. Mm-hmm. Um, she, you know, I think you see, you see that in the second half of the season mm-hmm. was that it was time to, it was time for Lucy to start showing some bones we hadn't had a chance to, to exploit with her. Uh, we thought that Aria deserved some Arias. So who else should, she, who else should she talk to? And it was, and it was delightful. I thought she did a tremendous job of just being nasty to herself. Oh, she's fantastic. The only, the only thing I would have added to that would be like pink streaks in Avataria's hair. Yeah. I don't know if it would have read. Yeah. Good point. I mean, you know, you see the pictures basically, we just did it on a green stage. Mm-hmm. And and Hindi and her post production team just, God, that thing is creepy looking. Mm-hmm. We were it would just we were doing t- we, you know, whenever there was a test we'd all go and we'd go in the room and say, well that's creepy, that's creepier now. Oh look, her eyes aren't even looking in the same direction. That's terrible. <laughs> yeah, whatever whatever they did to make it not match up entirely, it's just the right amount of weird. <laughs> it's the right amount of weird, and particularly when it tears. Mm-hmm. It's just it's yeah. Just, when part of the face is over here and the other parts over here yes. and it becomes like this Picasso monster. It's, it's, it's just, wrong. it yeah. couldn't and be more beautiful. And it's, it's, it's we're very, I'm very happy with it. the voice is right too, which is great. Mm-hmm. Cause I didn't, I didn't hear the final voice until the, the playback. So I was a little nervous about it. I guess this is a good springboard about how long before you started writing or, or producing, did you know that one of the show's stars would be directing that episode? And what was that like for you, the writer? I don't, I'm trying to remember. I mean, um, I don't think Troyan was set when we started, when we started the season, she got the slot. I'm, I would be, I would be surprised if Lisa Cochran didn't make sure that she got a writer like me. Mm. 
just to just to make sure that she would have that she would have an EP and another and 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 somebody there. Uh, the the tricky parts were keeping her light in the in the episode before it, mm-hmm. because she would be in prep. Yeah, yeah, I think we noticed that a little during that episode. Yeah, so she's a little she's a little light. She's heavier in fifteen than she probably should be, <laughs> uh, but there's no way around that. I think it was, I'm, I mean, I was really, I was really glad when the schedule came out like that. I don't remember being consulted about it, but I'm pretty sure that, that, that Marlene and Lisa Cochran uh, probably looked at and said, well, this is probably the best way to go with this. Mm-hmm. And it was great. It was a wonderful experience. She was spectacular. Mm-hmm. I, and she did. I mean, I was, uh, I, I just, I, my, I just wanted to sit there and, and make sure she got what she wanted and, and it's so hard to prioritize uh, in the middle of a day that you just want to make sure that somebody doesn't get overwhelmed. I mean, she did great for doing double duty. It's uh, it's almost oh, yeah. it probably would have been even better if she had like two of her. I would I would love to know what kind of direction she gave herself in the Ren scene. <laughs> uh, I don't. You know, it's like it's really it's like uh, it. The weirdest thing in the world is to talk to Tryon about motivation of Spencer. Hmm. In a scene, you just get lost in you just get lost in pronoun hell <laughs> so fast. Um, I should look at those dailies and see if she actually says cut for herself. Because sometimes you don't. Sometimes if you're directing yourself, you just let the, the first assistant director actually call hmm. action and, and cut. Um, I don't. Uh, there's there there are. There are secrets still to be revealed there <laughs> from 15. Yes. We, we've, we've had various theories discussed on the podcast for that. Uh, yes, 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 <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, what did I, oh, uh, we got to talk about without you. Yes. Harry Nilsson. Oh, please. Let's talk about that. Um, how, how much did you have it? to fight for that? Like, was that your idea? And, and did you have to fight for it? Uh, it was my idea. I wanted it all along. It's in the script. It's probably probably the only time I actually ever indicated a song hmm. in, in, in a script like that. Um, I'd been listening I, since a couple years back when this documentary came out about Harry Nilsson. Um, I was listening to more and more of his music and, and understanding a little bit more of, of his story. And I've just been responding to the material a little bit more and, and not to really, not to, the last time I heard it, Scorsese used that song. It's in Casino. Mm -hmm. And it's just that I don't think people talk about him enough as, as, as a force in pop music in the sixties and seventies. And the lyric is great. Um, It's this, so friggin' desperate mm-hmm. uh, and it just sits on top of this great arrangement and there's such desperation in his voice that I said, this is, this is really the song I want. And I said to Hindi, I said, this is going to be expensive. And she <laughs> said, yes, it is. <laughs> but she, but again, you know, it's like, but do you really, I mean, there's only one other needle drop in the show, which is the source music and the two crows. So I was hoping that that would help me in the budget. And I really, I never, I, I learned not to ask. I said, can I get it? And she said, yes, you can. And it's going to cost. I said, yeah, 
but can I get it? <laughs> <laughs> and the only pushback I got, and it was very, very minor, was the network said, you know, there are covers of this song that are more contemporary. Yeah, I was wondering yeah. if they would suggest something like that. I assume probably cheaper, too. Uh, well, the network doesn't care. Mm. They're not paying for it. The network cared because it was an older song. It's about, you know, it's 40 something years old now. Mm -hmm. uh, it's interesting. It's just, uh, it was a, it was a, uh, the note was sent in an email and Oliver saw the same email I got. And Oliver came up to me and says, I really would have liked to have been in the room when you, when you saw that. Because <laughs> I didn't think he would respond very well to that. And I got it, you know, it's like, what are you going to do? Fire me? <laughs> I said, I said, when we got the notes on the cut, I said, you know what, this is, this is, this is a very iconic song. It's an iconic performance and it's an iconic record and I want to use it. And I don't want to use the cover version. I want to use this one. And then that was it. We got to, we got to use it. Um, and I, it's, and what I like about it is that I like everything about it. I like the fact that I got a Harry Nilsson song yes. on the show. But I don't, I, I'm not a big fan of songs. I tend to not, I tend to not like them. I think they get in the way of scenes. Whenever we do things like that, I'm always, always asking, do we have an instrumental version of this we can use? Hmm. Um, but actually, you might know this more than I would. I don't think there's a song that's used quite that way on the series because what I, I didn't want it to be, linoleum i wanted it to actually take over the storytelling at that point mm -hmm. and it's interesting a, a lot of people responded very positively to it i had people come out to me when it was in script saying are you going to use this is this the song you're going to use i said yeah yes it is yeah i can only think of a few other times where a song kind of directly commented uh paparazzi when ali meets ezra maybe sticks out yeah. in my mind but it's really weird. It's like the the in just about every instance I can think about the music and the songs in particular, not not Mike Subi's score, but the songs, they're they're kind of reinforcing material. Mm -hmm. But I wanted, you know, it's very, you know, and and Bob understood this when he cut it together. Although we had to re-edit the song a little bit because we had to move a verse around. Um, it's like I wanted it in the clear. I wanted this is this is now the story. Mm -hmm. This song is now the story. It's the sort. It's I wanted it to be the story. My first impulse is I wanted it to be the. Uh, it's not so much Ad's voice. I wanted it to be the voice of the audience. I wanted it to be the voice of the fans. Hmm, interesting. And, but <clears throat> but because the lyric is so specific about, you know, when I had you and then I let you go. That's that's Ad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I did see this is kind of funny. I, I don't know if you knew this. Um, you you knocked off the uh, YouTube version of that song. Like it was it was up and it had like 16 million views. And I, I guess it got too many hits because <laughs> oh, uh, no, it, it, really? it got the copyright <laughs> takedown I'm after the so, episode. I'm so proud. <laughs> <laughs> I know you can. I know that. Yeah, I think. But you can buy it from iTunes, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. But I think it's a Warner Brothers. Oh, I'm, I'm, I was almost going to put that up. I, because I wanted people to hear the whole song, mm -hmm. but oh, good, good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm so glad that you got the Harry Nilsson one, and not like, not that it's bad, but the Badfinger version or or what have you. But so this is probably the most expensive song on PLO ever. Then I don't know. I would guess Paparazzi or the Lana Del Rey one, or maybe the it's one the, that they dance well, to. Yeah, 
Hmm. Well, there's also the theme song, but that's a cumulative oh, cost. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's like a Diana Ross at one point. I don't know how. Dionne Warwick. Yeah. There's, there's a Dionne Warwick. Warwick. There's also Diana Ross. There's a Bette Midler in there. Yeah. Uh, there's Patsy Cline, of course. <laughs> that's Patsy Cline. Cline. Yeah. I don't know how much that. Yeah, a couple of those. Um, it could very well have been, but I have to say, my my stock line as I, I said, you know, Hindi, you know, she took time out of putting out. She stopped putting in dog barks and train whistles, <laughs> and got me my Harry Nilsson song. <laughs> And it is, it's unexpected. Yeah, it's an older song. And it's, I don't know, maybe it's, it's, I've got, I, I wrote a feature script a couple of years ago on the last thing, the last images go with a Harry Nilsson song. So I guess Harry's kind of been on my, my mind. It's a mm-hmm. sad story too. Mm-hmm. It does seem like the kind of song you might tune in on the radio as you're driving out of town. As you're driving out of town. With your action figures on the seat next to you. <laughs> with your expensive action figures on the seat next to you. But it's like, I don't know. As I said, you know, I've had nine months to second guess absolutely everything in the episode, but not the song. <laughs> well, let me let me throw something out that I'm curious if you have second guesses on the puzzle pieces. Yep. What <laughs> what what aspect of them other than the fact that we had to do two at the time? It it seemed like in the first three to four episodes of this season they were very present, and then they went away for like four episodes and then they came back. I think initially, I mean, the game itself, well, there's a, there's first of all, God bless Chris Vale for building that thing. <laughs> um, the game, I think our original concept was, uh, was a, was a piece per episode. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we tried to do that and something happened <laughs> and I don't remember what, I don't remember why I ended up with two. I was. N- I wished that wasn't the case because having to made it look like we were running out of time, which of course we were. Mm. Um, I don't remember why that Hannah didn't get a piece. Somebody missed a turn. You thought Lucy missed a turn. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, there should have only been one piece. That's unfortunate. Uh, it, it, I don't know what happened there, but if, yeah, if, if there had been one other piece used somewhere else, then I would have only had to, I would have only had to worry about that final piece. Mm-hmm. And I, I assume the plan the whole time was for it to assemble into this weird picture of a face with a spider web on it. Yeah, although I think we always thought that the image itself would contain a code. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, like you could, I don't know if you, there, it does get scanned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, with the little laser thing. With the little laser thing, which probably cost more than the Harry Nilsson song. <laughs> but, but yes, we talked about eyes. We talked about it being a map. Um, I think there was a period there we were trying to have, it's so, it was such a complicated, and again, it was being done on the fly between mm-hmm. half seasons. Um, Actually, no. Yes, it was being done because, yeah, we, when, yeah, six, it just shows up in 7 Eleven. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, we were thinking about it all through the first half of seven um, because this is something that we wanted to do. We wanted to build this kind of clock into the second half of the season. It's it's a little wonky, but it's so, it's so neat. I, don't, I hope it doesn't, hopefully, people still like it. Um, I liked it. I like the structure that it kind of it, theoretically it, provided. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
it, it amused me that, and I don't think we showed it to him, but it amused me that Chris ended up with something that kind of looked like the maps you guys drew. <laughs> <laughs> I took a certain satisfaction in that. Us too. Um, yeah, good, as well you should. That's immortality, my darlings. Uh, I, and I, I know we were, and I mean, I had it, I, you know, uh, Allison and I kind of had it first in, in 611. And um, it, that game could get pretty contentious in the writer's room. Hmm. It's, uh, um, I, I, Brian Holman can get along with anyone about anything, but he could not understand how the hell there could be a letter in there. <laughs> When was the letter in this? Well, the letter's always been in there. It's, what do you mean the letter's always been in there? It's, it's always been in there. I don't know. There's also knives in there. <laughs> well, the knife, yeah, but the knife come, the knife come, uh, the knife comes out of the mail slot. Oh, okay, yeah. The thing that is, the thing that is never, that was never shown, and I, you know, and I, boy, I, I, I'm sure he still got it. Um, but uh, on on the wall in Mona's apartment. Uh, when she had the game there and I, nobody came around to that side of the room. I tried to in, in mine, but I just couldn't. Uh, Chrisville had done this incredibly sophisticated, uh, uh, circuitry diagram of what Mona felt was in there. Oh yeah. Um, it was much better than just the, you know, the sketchy things she did in, in, in 715. Um, I wish I could have seen it. It was just, it was just friggin', it was as Mona would say, beautiful. <laughs> I feel like if you can get behind Mission Impossible masks, a letter that's just been waiting in there the whole time, that's not too hard to rationalize. In general, this this game is a perfect metaphor for for what you guys do in the show because it's a game, but also yeah. the eyes. While I'm, I was definitely like confused at first once the pieces come together. Like like you said, it's the town watching them right in the center. Like whatever other larger meanings the the image has, I love that it's two eyes representing this town. Um, and I love that you had like from Seven Eleven that you and Allison wrote. Like it says Secret Passageway on that game. It says Secret Passageway right there. And I don't know how, like especially Spencer, wasn't just like, can we circle back to this, guys? <laughs> I, you know, I think they were all just afraid of the damn thing. They really are afraid. You know, they they're afraid of it. They don't like it. They don't want to play it. They're stuck with it. it it's it's you know they're being outgunned by it. Mm-hmm. Um, and also they've got real, you know, real jeopardy in that they can, you know, I mean, this was, it's interesting. This is something that was very important to Oliver for a very long time, which was basically the girls had to be culpable for something Mm -hmm. in this case, the death of the death of a bad person, but it was a death that they were responsible for and could be held culpable for and would look bad for it. Mm -hmm. But no, you have to play the game. And then you of course got the right. Janelle Parrish as the thirteenth doctor when she finally oh, meets the game. <laughs> oh I I can't say enough about Janelle Parrish. Um I can't say enough about her in, 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 in my episode or in the series or just basically what she should I just you know I I think I've said this before. It's like she's so good I didn't notice for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And I've got a theory and I got nothing to back it up. But when Marlene told her that she would say in season two, I think this is, I think as a, as a human being and an actor, she just said, there's no way I'm going to let any of this, I'm going to, I'm just going to claim this. Mm. And then you get the end of season two and then season three starts. And I had written for the character, but I had not written anything big for her. I had written her as little annoying, you know, Nerdy, yeah, a little cute Mona. Mm-hmm. 
you know, hey, big A, um, which was, which was an, I, I can't remember if we knew it when, when she said that. Um, but I, again, it's, it's such a, it's such a, it's such a visceral memory for me is when first Hannah visits her in Radley mm-hmm. in season three. Uh, and, 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 and Janelle's got this, you know, you can't trust anybody in here. <laughs> Uh, and then Caleb comes in and, and she's playing solitaire and she freaks out and tells him he's a lousy kisser and tosses the table and starts screaming. And I wrote it and I knew what it was, I knew what I wanted to have happen. And Chad was directing it and we rolled on it and the, you know, I think two cameras, maybe three cameras rolling on it. And she said, you're a lousy kisser. She took the beat and then she started screaming and and it, it, all due respect tyler's not acting <laughs> in that scene she, she went and she wailed and she just tore into it and chad said cut and i think the crew applauded um but all i remember is is i turned to chad and chad looked at me and said oh we have not what the hell was that <laughs> And all of a sudden, it occurred to me that there was this massive amount of something quite remarkable going on. That's the same episode. I went up to her very late in the day and said, could you sing something for me in this? In this? And that's when I gave her, that's when she's, I asked her to sing In the Eye Abides the Heart, mm-hmm. which had basically, it's just basically, it's, it's the song that um, Lucy and, 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 and Tamin, um, that, uh, Jenna and, uh, Aria are rehearsing. Mm-hmm. And, and I said, do you think you could do this? And I said, and I just gave it, and she hadn't rehearsed it at all. I just gave it the lyric and I played the song for her once. And she said, yeah, I can do that. And it's just like, it's like, Oh, Janelle will just, you know, and she, the, it's just basically she, the more she stretched, the more we wrote to stretch her. Mm-hmm. And the results uh, were always amazing. Um, her level of commitment, and and you know, when, and when I saw her jailhouse rock number, I sent her a <laughs> notes thing. So this it's official. There's absolutely nothing you can't do. <laughs> and then she plays all three Monas. She's playing. How many Monas is she playing in Seven Nineteen? She's got at least three. Yeah, yeah. she's a minimum of three. And I realized afterwards, again, it's like so much of the show is like you could take credit for it, but none of it was conscious that that the primary relationship in the show is actually Mona to the other girls. Mm-hmm. And that's really, you know, that's actually what 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 the show means, which is why, you know, the worst thing you can say to her is they'll never love you. It's there in the pilot. Yeah. It's, it's, it's right. It's there. It's, it's, don't you understand? <laughs> you know, I mean, everybody's a little hurt, but, but everybody, and everybody's a little damaged, but, but Mona, Mona saves everybody. She actually did. I mean, like there's a lot of stuff still to get cleaned up, but Charlotte would have been terrible if she'd survived. Right. She would have really, it would have been ghastly. Not that things have been easy going as it is. And she's and poor and Mona's been carrying that around. She was carrying it around. 
I read a, a fascinating theory, and I, I know you can't really comment on this, but the, the theory goes that AD's game was not for the liars. It was to draw out Mona and to, to subvert Mona into her old ways. At what point would that have happened? I, I guess just in the flash forward. Um, like the, the theory goes that AD knew Mona was the killer the whole time, and they needed Mona to, to get into old A Mona mode. Um, I don't know if that's the case or not, but I, I did like that. It's interesting. It's I'm there's it, it it begs the question of of AD's original motive for the game, which is I want to find out who killed Charlotte. Mm-hmm. Um, don't know, <laughs> don't know. Um, I do know that basically it's like it's like you know you were always the smart one, Mona. It wasn't not Spencer. I can definitely remember watching early season three. I mean, I, I think for everyone that was when they really noticed Mona. I mean, for me that like, I realized that that was like the main thing I was, you know, keep going on each episode up till four in the morning to like binge watch it. Like I got to see more Mona, you know, like yeah. her character became I mean, so fast. As I said, it's, it is, it is unfortunately it's three. I can't, I only remember the only thing I remember writing for her before she went into the hospital was Hey, Hey, big a. Mm-hmm. Um, and other than that, I mean like, and then I can't remember if I knew she was, original a at that point or not but there's just it was there was the the idea you get it from you know listen there i'm not taking anything away from any actor on the show um but there's you do get it you know you do get a yeah get a whiff of something if you're a writer that says i think i let me try this and you get that I got it. You get it from Troyan. You get it from uh, you get it from Janelle. Um, Lucy and 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 Ashley are are more are more technical in their own way. Although Ashley would 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 slap you silly if you called her technical because she wouldn't <laughs> like that. And this is mostly the women since we were concentrating on them as much as we were. The difference, you know, Shay just has blossomed. Shay and Lindsay together. I mean, it certainly was like, oh, I can do, I can write stuff for these two that I couldn't write for another pair of actors and it's going to, and, and it'll work, you know? Um, but it's not, the, it's like, you do, you do get spoiled. Uh, everybody got spoiled on the show. The writers got spoiled on the show. The actors got spoiled on the show. The directors got spoiled on the show. I mean, my, again, I've said this a lot just to the annoyance of everyone, but I used to go through the halls, particularly with the younger writers and say, you have no idea how much you're going to hate your next job. <laughs> this is not going to be this one. But yeah, I mean, it's, we, it's, I don't think anyone could have predicted what that alchemy was going to be. And it was, it is an alchemy. You know, it began with Marlene. It began with the network. It began with, began with an incredible casting process that, that ended up with these incredible women and, you know, a, a bunch of writers who just took it really seriously, but didn't take ourselves too seriously. I guess. <laughs> I mean, it was just always, it was always a pleasure to, to write the show. And there is, there's, you know, you guys have talked about it. There are, there, there are characters in terms of relationships in the show that you kind of wish they weren't doing what they were doing, mm-hmm. but there, but that the relationships have generated a certain you know, gravitational pull, which which prevents you from writing them differently. I give you know, guess what? They're characters and they're making bad decisions. Yeah, yeah. 
and uh, that kind of happens. I mean, you know, Arya and Ezra, for instance. That's, but you know, I mean, like that. Well, fi- yeah. Finish your thought, and then we'll just discuss okay. this. <laughs> I was just gonna say, um, it as much as like I didn't want to see Arya with Ezra, it never felt to me that Arya wouldn't want to be with him. She had. For better or worse, she was into him, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But again, it's like I mean, this. What I was going to say is that the the Arya Ezra thing was always problematic for everybody on the show. I mean, I read the first. It's I, I think I've talked about this. Is you know the first time I read the script and I read the bathroom scene and then I in a bar and then I realized, oh God, this is a teacher. We ooh, I don't know if I know how to write this. <laughs> and it's one of the reasons why I said, you know, I don't think I really need to meet on the show because I just don't know, know how I would do this. It was always that was out of the gate the most problematic thing in it. Mm-hmm. And maybe I mean, and then it became and then it became even more complicated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it just became more complicated and it's just like, gosh, you know, and then, and then it's interesting, the reaction to the characters, like, and then Liam kind of became the tanner of, of Ezria, <laughs> um, where he came in and, you know, said, you know, I see what this is and you don't see what this is, but I'm telling you what this is. That was, that was going to be my question was Bedlam when Liam sits down to, uh, Give Ezra some notes. <laughs> yes, yes. How much fun yes. was that for you? That was, that, I, I, you know, I don't know if I had, I don't know who had more fun with that, me or Ian. <laughs> uh, but Ian loved it. It was a, it was a great scene. And I remember talking to everybody and says, because, because we, I talked to Ian, I talked, and, 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 oh God, I forgot the actor's name. Who played Liam? Oh, I only know him as Emma Watson's friend, which I probably <laughs> should know is his real name. But it means that the whole year's like, there are no other scenes like that in the show. Well, actually, as you're saying, the only other scenes that are like that in the show are between Ian and Byron. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Roberto Aguirre. Roberto, that's right. I'm so sorry. That's so awful of me. But he was, I mean, that was the great, Roberto could just, again, it's like why we put him in, I think that's why I put him behind Byron's desk. He said, basically, <laughs> you, have to understand, you know, you don't understand. This is, this is what's wrong with this, and I'm telling you what's wrong with this. And I'm giving you the chance to tell me that it's not true. I'm giving you a chance to lie. All you have to do is lie to me one more time. Mm-hmm. And you didn't. <laughs> but he's right. And I mean, he's angry and he wants to call him on it. And, uh, but again, it's like Ian, um, I think Ian really loved the scene. I think they both did because we just weren't doing that kind of stuff with guys mm-hmm. on the show. I mean, I mean, uh, Keegan pointed out that the only scene he has with Ian in the show is in the black and white episode. Hmm. Single scene. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. And, and it's like, well, what the hell is that? But you see, it's like, you know, it's. They are somewhat just accessories though. The boyfriends are, you know, they are. I think that's one of the reasons that's the primary reason why they fall out of seven nineteen, mm-hmm. uh, because it's really about the, it's really about the girls. I mean, they've stated their, I call them girls again. It's really about the women. You know, they stated their cases. They've done what they've done. Um, they've, they've, they've made their statements. Uh, you know, I, they're there for what I want them to be there for. And they all hear, and they all hear Mona's, uh, Mona's confession. Mona's, Mona's aria. Mm-hmm. You only need Caleb because he's the only one who can do the, uh, the hand stuff and the hacking. That's really, yeah. And again, it's like, but I wasn't going to pass up the opportunity to put, to put 
Caleb across the table from from Mona in in the in the two crows and let them have their last scene together and, and talk about the, talk about the pie and what was the direction there like what what did you tell Tyler to do because it's fantastic it's, it's really interesting because it was a it's one of those times when my only I the specific memory I have of directing Tyler in that scene was he I thought he was rushing when he was when he tries to pie I said yeah just try to pie and then uh, put the fork down and and ask her who she's who she's uh, waiting for, and he did it like uh, two times. And I and I went in and I said, you know, really, just take, really separate these things. And just like take the ply, just take your time. Don't don't rush. Slow down. And Tyler looked at me and said, you don't understand. People are always telling me to hurry up. <laughs> and I get get on. And I said, not this one, not this episode, not this scene. Take your time. Try try the pie. Try the pie. Clearly not like the pie mm-hmm. from the look on his face. And then talk to Mona and realize she's not doing well over there. Hmm. Caleb never trusted Mona ever and doesn't trust her now. I don't know how he feels about her now, but I just wanted, I just wanted to slow it down and I wanted to... I said I wanted, you know, I wanted really deep colors. I wanted, you know, I wanted some colors I hadn't seen before from them as actors and also in the set design. And I just wanted to take my time with the scene. And I was, you know, and the specific things I was asking for were were the small physical things, like really seriously finish the bite of pie and then ask her. And and making sure I got a separate piece of of Mona wiping her fingers. Mm-hmm. As if there was literally there was she her mistake was to touch the game. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I've always gotten the impression with Caleb and Mona that he always it's like he thinks he's in a different scene in a way. Like he thinks that this is kind of one sort of conversation and Mona's always like just three levels above him Mm -hmm. uh, with where she's operating. I think you're right. If you look at them beginning with the beginning with the solitaire cards. Mm -hmm. um, Yeah, yeah. But catatonic Mona in the Lost Woods, the only person she responds to is Caleb. She gives that little wave to Caleb. Oh, that's true. When yeah. he comes in, and I, you know, and I, we, we, and I talked about it. And I, and I said, because it was, I said, I said, no, that's the no. When she sees Caleb, she she waves at him. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, she's sitting there. She's, you know, she's off somewhere. Mona may be gone forever, and you know, and and you know, says that may already have happened, and she's pretty far gone but she recognizes caleb and she waves at him and so she's got a smile for him what is that Hmm. but she's again it's like janelle just sitting there on the sofa that was a great day it was a great day directing her and that stuff and she was so pleased with the last line which is waiting for you know it was there all the time waiting for charlotte to come Hmm. and then the sun comes up and everything's okay why the sun waited till about eleven o'clock in the morning to come up, we don't know. But it did. Came out all at once, yeah. It was a very, very long night. It's time for the sun for all of us. See, now oh. that now that makes me wonder if maybe Caleb was the mysterious fourth member of the Mona Jenna and Sydney meeting yes. in Miss Me Times One Hundred. And the blurred figure at the end of Surfing oh, the Aftershocks. Will we ever discover who that is? Um oh God. I think I thought I knew for a while. 
Um, but now I don't remember, so I don't even want to, can't, I don't even want to nominate anyone Okay. because it might, sometimes we, I, I try to be scrupulous about these things, but sometimes it's hard to be scrupulous about this mm-hmm. stuff. I hate doing stuff where I can't, I mean, I, I always, I was always the one who was, well, just tell me, just tell me what really happened. Mm-hmm. If you tell me what really happened, then I can, then I can lie about it all day long. <laughs> but if I, but if I don't actually know what happened, then I'm kind of, I'm a bit of a, I'm in a bit of a bind. You might step on a landline accidentally. Yeah. Oh, there's there plenty of them floating around. <laughs> that's, that's for sure. Hmm. It's like every, it's like you get possessive about certain characters and you don't, uh, I don't, I don't talk, I don't think I'm talk that way. Um, but we get possessive. Mm-hmm. Was there ever anything, you know, as, as long as this isn't going to spoil anything, was there ever any moment or plot line or something that you really wanted on the show, but you just couldn't work in? A couple of things, but they're very, very minor. Mm-hmm. Um, because we got to do almost everything. I mean, when I, when I look at the checklist of stuff I got to do, um, beginning with the black and white episode, beginning with the, tra- with a, with a Halloween train and, and writing about Emily and, and Paige, the way I was able to write about them. Um, there was a moment, it actually got as far as script, where after the time jump, um, Emily was in the armed forces. Oh, she, okay. was in the, she was in the Air Force Reserve. And, and I think she did that to raise money for her college and as an honor to her father who had passed away at that point. And I actually wrote the scene. It's, she, I, she was in the Air Force National Guard. She was not a pilot, but she had what they call um, she was authorized a taxi aircraft. And instead of her making margaritas in a bar, you were going to see you were going to see her um, powering down like a C forty seven, like in a cockpit. Yeah, yeah. I was going to. I mean, it was like that was going to be. See, that was going to be the trend. That was it. Was an airplane to airplane transition. I think it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Because it would have gone, it would have gone, <clears throat> out, gone out one Hannah. window and the other. Yeah, yeah it would have gone. It would have gone from Hannah in the jet to uh, to Emily uh, parking and powering down an aircraft. And I just, we talked about it, and it was just going to be a story dead end. We would never. It just, it, it was not something that we were going to able be able to explain unless that was like her last flight or something. Yeah. yeah. How do you get her out of and, that? Yeah, yeah. I know that we also talked for a little bit about whether or not she should have become a paramedic. Hmm. I just, I think it's like part of it's like, <laughs> poor Shay. She's, I mean, she spent seven years wearing flats. And there I was, I'm trying to say, well, let's put her in a uniform. Um, but it would have been a fine uniform. Because mm-hmm. I thought she wanted, it, it, I thought it would be an interesting thing to do for the character. That she, that, that this was a woman who, whose family was about service. And, and I, you know, and I think it might've, it might've been interesting, but maybe it just wasn't our show. Well, cause no matter what, everyone had to come back to Rosewood and their old yeah. jobs quickly fell away anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They did because you, because they never really, fin- that, well, that's, that's what I liked about the time jump is they all thought they got away, but none of them did. There was a speech, there was a scene that I had a cut from six eleven where they were, um, it's, it's a, it ended up being the scene at the end of the first act when they go to school and they talk to Allie and Allie wants them to to do the testimony uh, to, to help get Charlotte out and originally the scene was going to be in the De Laurentiis house and there was a scene of the other four women uh, walking up to the house and talking about how you almost how basically said my god I feel like I'm getting smaller 
Hmm. It's like I'm back in this town now and I'm not even the same size I was. I'm back to the size I How is that possible? Mm-hmm. Um, because they had not finished with the town. And that's really what basically it was. They had not. They had not finished with the town and they couldn't hear. I mean, it's a scene with Spencer, but but Spencer couldn't hear what what Mona says to her at the campaign rally, which is, do you still have bad dreams? I do. T- don't, are you going to tell me you're, co-? and Spencer does not answer the question. Aria does. She says, yes, I do. She says it in front of the judge. Hmm. They, you know, but, you know, Mona is the one who has to come and say, I, you know, I think she says like a lot of prescriptions and six therapists, but I still have bad dreams. What are you doing here? How are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I know you guys had that scene. It was like a bonus scene where it was like Mona meeting Allie kind of somewhere within the flash forward. Was that originally going to be like a flashback or I think is that, that in one of the, is that in a special? It was or? in the special, I think. Yeah. No, I think it was, that was done specifically for the special. Okay. okay. And the one with and, uh, uh, Dr. Sullivan, I think is meeting gold. with. Jason and Allison, isn't there one in that same special? I don't remember. I know that I kind of did not, I, I wasn't, know, I didn't know how ca- how canon those scenes were going to be. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. So I kind of, kind of, I got to a point like basically like if I, it's it's like, you know, I'll, it's the Cuban Missile Crisis, respond to the telegram you like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I just, I started to kind of say, well, I don't, I don't know that. If I don't know that, I don't have to worry about that. How do you feel about Barry Maple helping Charlotte escape in uh, 424? I, I, I didn't like it until I backed into this theory of corruption. Oh, okay. And then everything flipping made sense. <laughs> I've, you know, I mean, I love, I love detective Barry. You know, I mean, that's, that's one of the great unintended consequences of the show was basically, uh, you know, Barry was, Barry got the name Barry because he's the cop who pulls over Ashley Marin. Mm-hmm. When she's got when she's got the forty thousand dollars in the car, which is basically cycle. That's why it's forty thousand yeah. dollars. Um, but I what I said was basically I just wanted to make sure she called the officer by name because I wanted people to know that she knew all the cops. Mm-hmm. And but that's how that's you know and that's how the actor got that's how the character got named instead of being second cop. And he just stayed with it, bringing bad news every year. <laughs> Yeah, I, I feel like the only thing I would have ever changed about Barry over the course of the show is just like more stubble, like like <laughs> take him a little more jaded because he it seems like he's uh, really not happy or really like a little more more gruff when he's like. We thought he was yeah, Spencer. We he was he might actually turn into the police chief at some point. I don't know. I yes. have I have no way of knowing that's you know. And again, how does Toby get to be a cop that fast? <laughs> Maybe Barry was kind of bucking the uh, the system until he finally got in line with the uh, uh, the corruption and whatnot and then he rose uh, up the ranks there mm. you go um, you know there are these towns that you know it's that that's yeah the thing I, there the there was something i wanted to do that i didn't get a chance to do and maybe it was too meta and i can't remember i actually ever said it out loud to anyone at any point but it's something that occurred to me when I wrote the second, when I wrote the Halloween train, is that I wanted to do an episode that would be introduced by a Rod Serling impersonator, <laughs> um, and not Twilight Zone, but but Night Gallery. Mm-hmm. And I actually played around with it. Was that 
I think I, it was that I said that, that you'd actually get this guy in a suit and there are a couple of actors who can do it and just basically have him introduce the show and just put it in this different context. And I don't know. It was a goofy idea. I mean, I think you, you cheat that by putting it on a TV that you then pull out of. It's we've well, God knows we've done that. Yeah. But... Or it's Arya's funny uncle, Rob Lowe. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. Who, who works for cash? Because uh, I mean, I mean, you guys are definitely talking about mental health issues as far back as when Byron has this throwaway line about how he's really concerned about Mike, and and his brother was Scott. A, Scott, yeah. Um, There's. It's interesting. It's like I mean, I think one of the places people like people do people went after us for some gender insensitivity, but I think actually one of the things that we didn't do properly was deal with sobriety. Hmm. and uh and mental health <laughs> Think these things but again it was a terrible hospital i don't even i don't you know really what did they who had what on dr sullivan yeah mona had like something about her son yeah i guess there's something i mean like i mean th- i mean that plant was ugly but there was something more going on in that scene that should mm-hmm. that, that do we actually throw that plant away in the scene oh when, i can't remember yeah when she gives the, this, the new plant the episode I wrote that I think I wrote that episode with Elijah, and yeah, she gets an orchid. Here you go. <laughs> it's just like it's one of those things where it's like the joke has almost been accepted in memory as canon. Of like, here's a plant, you know, put it put it by wherever you talk on the phone or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> although plants are nice too. Ren has a nice plant. That's one of like one of the first things I wrote. I was very happy. I was was Ren coming in with a plant. Mm-hmm. Well, one, one does, does not, not come, come unfortified. <laughs> one does not come unfortified to the House of Hastings, which I actually like to think of those. I said, you know what? I don't think there's anybody on this staff who could have written that line. I'm very pleased with that. <laughs> which I love not. it that you you call back at the game. It's the House of Hastings there. It is the House of Hastings. I was a little surprised when I saw that because that would how you know I mean ooh, wait a minute who heard that yeah. Mm, yeah the other one is summon your father which is also I think. <laughs> People should. Think I think I, I think Ian could have said that before before Mike punched him in the face. With some father, I'm not summoning anyone. Summon his fist. Yeah. Huh. I'm pretty. I like that. Scene. Oh God, I like that scene too. When they, you know, Arya and, and Ezra are standing there, like it's going to be okay. Oh, that scene's just painful. Yeah. Like, I think like, half of us. You know what kind of PLL fan you are, depending on how much you like that scene. <laughs> <laughs> really with you who's who doesn't like you're supposed to squirm it's supposed to be awful it's the stupidest thing they could have possibly done ezra's so weaselly too he's like i i wanted to clarify something like it's, oh he's, it's he's just, just a little little minor clarification just like just all he does is just like just opens trenches to well, fall into dipping our toe into the internet i, I quickly discovered there are some ezrians out there who really thought that scene would have a happy ending <laughs> Really, they thought there was only. Oh yeah, I mean they're they're mystified with uh, the fact that Ezra would have to explain himself um, to to people, especially. I want to ask you about speaking of Ezra. So we talked a little bit about Bedlam. We talked a little bit about Liam. Was that kind of the idea in the writers' room at the start of like having Ezra explain himself or apologize in any way at the end of the show? As we well, doesn't doesn't he doesn't don't you have to eventually? Own your behavior. Oh, I would agree, but unless, of course, you're, unless of course you've got a lot of lawyers. <laughs> but but it's like, yeah, um, yeah, he's you've got to say something. It's yeah. the biggest wrong thing there is in the show. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and it, you know, and he tried, you know, I think, you know, and they're, you know, as we try, actually, as we did try to go away, mm-hmm. um, in, in season, in, in season one, yeah. back at that, oh my God, as far back as, uh, what was that homecoming? I think. Then he, I think he walks back in and catches Arya playing like guitar with Noel Khan. Yeah. But that's like a little later. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. The haircut, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I got this haircut for you. I got this haircut for you. <laughs> um, I think so. I think it's like it's not, but I think it's also it's like characters like Liam and 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 other people stepping forward and saying, "This is your behavior." I mean, in a weird way, Liam and particularly in the last couple of episodes, it's like even even Paige has to come forward mm-hmm. and and saying. You, this is, you're doing this you, and you have to understand that you, I'm, we all have to know why you're doing this. Let's be honest about this. Yeah. I mean, she can't possibly think the three of them could be together in some kind of context. Well, we, maybe we, on another network, but <laughs> we have to ask, I mean, what was that like for you having so much ownership of that relationship being, I mean, I, I'm assuming you, you, if you didn't get that episode where she leaves, you would have fought for it, but I, well, yeah, I mean, again, it's like one of those things where like it can't, it's, it was going to be there. We were going to do it. Uh, I don't remember having to talk to say I wanted it. I think it was kind of, a, a, you know, I mean, my, my affection for the, for the characters became a running, an unfortunate running joke in the writer's room mm-hmm. where I was desperately trying to, you know, desperately trying to kind of like make the thing, make the thing work. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, here's this, here's the deal with that. Um, there, it was clear at some point that this was where these relationships were going to go. People were going to end up with who they were going to end up with. Mm-hmm. And I thought when Paige left at the airport, mm-hmm. uh, that that might very well be the last time anyone would ever see the character. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and they're, and they're magnificent in the scene. Um, right down to, you know, right, right down to Shay knowing how, you know, what do you do? How did you get in here? So I bought a $66 plate ticket to Atlantic city <laughs> just to get through security. Um, and, and it's a great scene of the two of them being torn apart. And I thought that was it to the point where the first draft of six eleven uh, after, after the Arias had her breakdown on the stand and Spencer and uh, Spencer and Emily are in the Radley bar waiting for, uh, waiting for mm-hmm. Hannah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and, and Emily says, it's a little strange being here. And she says, yeah, it is. There are, there are pages, the first draft pages. Spencer says to Emily, do you, do you talk much to Paige? And Emily says, this is really, I don't know what it means that I remember this dialogue. <laughs> because it was never performed. Uh, and Emily says, no, I haven't, not much since the wedding. Mm-hmm. And Spencer was, how was that? And then Emily describes going to uh, Paige's wedding in Carmel mm-hmm. and seeing two brides coming out of the, of, the, of the mist and the fog. And she's saying it was very beautiful. And I cried a lot. And she said, I'm not quite sure what I was crying about, but I cried at the wedding. And... That was because I wanted Paige to be okay. Mm-hmm. 
And I wanted them, oh, maybe they still talk to each other in, in terms of that. Uh, and it was decided unilaterally that, the, that actually the speech was off topic and that they should be talking about something else. And they end up talking about Sarah Harvey and what would have happened if Sarah Harvey had walked in. But I thought, you know, and then, you know, I did not, you know, and then the backstory evolved about them knowing each other, spending time together in California and having a relationship in California and it ended ending. But I was prepared, I was prepared for not to get that shot. Mm-hmm. to have that character back and then rather late in the day that i because i was such a proponent of the relationship it got to a point where i really couldn't bring it up in the room mm-hmm. you had to wait for somebody else to <laughs> yeah exactly because it was like so i and and i and i remember the first time it came up i kept my trap shut but you know i don't i can't remember if it came from marlene's end of the table or, or, or somewhere else it must it must have been from marlene where it's kind of like, what were we, well, you know, and actually the, the original drive was, what would we have to do to be able to re-bitchify uh, Allie a little bit? Oh, interesting. Which is why Pages returned to the school, which is why the, you know, the, the great Kathy Ladman as, as mm. Mrs. Horowitz, <laughs> who's, who's, who's never seen a problem she couldn't avoid. <laughs> Even the school district is corrupt. <laughs> she's like i'm about to retire i I, didn't I'm about to retire. This. I just there's no problem i just want to get out of here i think she had a lot of school spirit um so i was really surprised when i had the when when they brought her back and i was really pleased to just i love Lindsay as an actor and 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 i the power when the two of them had their scenes together was always something that was tremendously really it's difficult to describe what it was like to direct them in the black and white show Mm-hmm. They so understood what was going on. And when we did the scene in the bedroom, it was one of my stock sentences, like basically as I went up to them in, in, in hair and makeup and I said, listen, I got this idea. Can I just talk to you about this? And I said, let me just show you what I'm thinking about if I can do it. And there's, which is why basically one of the best directions I ever gave in to anyone in my entire life was, was, to, was to tell Shay to put her fingers underneath Lindsay's bra strap when they're on the bed together because it was like trying to find these these safe these safe 40s images mm-hmm. to be transposed into in into uh, into a lesbian embrace but i could have i could have i could have directed two of them in that scene all fucking day long oh, so you're still fighting like censorship today with their relationship in that scene in particular it it was it's like oh i think there's there's two things that are different in that scene in the broadcast version, then, then the, then my director's cut. Um, and mostly, and again, it's, 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 it's Bob editing again. We shortened it by about nine seconds Hmm. of them on the bed, um, and chose a couple of different takes. I have to say I wasn't, I was fighting, but I was not fighting. It was so important that the scene be in there as much of it as possible that I was very cautious about pushing things too hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, originally the only other thing that's a big difference and it had an impact on the transitions is that it was, they were supposed to start kissing at the window, pull back across the bed. And then it was supposed to go to Hannah. And then it was supposed to go to Spencer 
uh, with Spencer talking to to Toby and Spencer and Toby had their big scene and Toby quotes down these mean streets, a girl must go who is not herself mean. And Spencer stood up and walks into the embrace with Toby. And what happens then is that I panned off again, un, un, unmotivated camera move. I panned off of, of Spencer and Toby to their shadows on the wall and lap dissolved to Shay's and Lindsay's shadows on the wall mm-hmm. and then found them on the bed. Um, the network wanted the love scene to be a continuous scene. And I did not want to uh, fight about that. I didn't want to give them a reason not to do the scene. Hmm. So choose your battles a little. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's, there's this, so I had to lose this transition, which is, which was a design transition. Um, but I, you know, and the only other thing is literally it's, it's, it's about nine, nine seconds actually feels a little long now. I know we swapped some takes and they were, I don't think I would have gotten a different kind of note if it was uh, a mixed sex couple. I think they would have said the same thing to me. Okay. So I can't, you know, as it is, it's an eight o'clock show and we did that scene. And I'm, you know, I'm nuts about it. I'm nuts about that stuff. The two of them at that window is just, just holy cats. Mm-hmm. I'm not that good. <laughs> they must be really good. <laughs> but, but, uh, so, but yeah, I, a, a huge, a tremendous investment in every scene those girls had together. Girls, women. For the first one, for the first kiss, don't tell. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the one where she comes in and she's had the date with, with Guy and, and it wasn't real. It was, a, it was a great date till I kissed her. And, and, and Emily's saying, I didn't come out of the closet. I fell out of the closet. And then they walk over on the window seat. The window seat that, you know, Paige said, I always wanted one of those. Mm-hmm. They sit on the window seat. And, and I wrote this, <laughs> I wrote this speech for, uh, uh, for Emily saying, says, um, you know, when I was trying to talk myself into liking guys, I would look for guys like you. And she's, what does that mean? And, and, and I handed that, I handed the script in and, uh, Marlene read it and she came in the room and she looked at me and she said, you are such a lesbian. <laughs> I said, thank you. <laughs> that. They're parting. I mean, the scene by the pool, don't look away. Mm-hmm. The two of them, you know, on the train together. Um, how, I mean, the fact that I got to do another couple of scenes with them and to write, you know, and that, yeah, you know, to the, to the perpetual annoyance. Oh, God, that's a bad way to put it. <laughs> but I've already put it. Uh, in that, you know, when Paige leaves, she she has to be the one who authorizes she's she tells Allie what she has to do mm-hmm. and i think that's a tremendously generous thing for her to do and i think emily's making a mistake <laughs> i hope things work out i think they'll work out for Paige. but yeah how's that for like these are fictional people yeah <laughs> <laughs> well i was i mean i love for Paige's happy ending that that she is her last scene is with Allison and that she does make this choice to leave. I, she leaves and she leaves and, and I, you know, and I, I did not have to explain to Lindsay what that last line was. It's like, literally it's like, you are authorizing this. Mm-hmm. 
you are, you know, and it's like, she's the most grown up person on this triangle. And she has this, you know, and again, it's just a simple scene. And, but it's great, you know, and it's like, it's one of those places too, where Troyan said that, I don't know if she, I don't know if she meant it in the context of this particular scene, but Troyan did say things and the other actors said things as well, that because Troyan had worked with them so closely as actors, she was able to speak to them about things on a level that other directors couldn't have done. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and it's just like, there's Paige, there's, there, there's the frightened, there's, my God, there's that frightened girl with the bangs, drowning, trying to push people down into water because she's so attracted to them. Um, and then she sits there with all this incredible wisdom and all this pain mm -hmm. and saying, well, if this is how this is going to go, but you have to, you have to say you love her. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't, but she gets the answer. I'm very pleased with it. I don't know how people think about it. I really don't. I mean, I know a lot. I mean, I again, I've, it got to a point where I just like stopped going into the social media because, particularly the the, the page stuff, mm -hmm. seemed really weird, and disproportionate, and cruel, and hurtful. I'm not, you know, I mean, I can't get into who was, you know, who's right or who's wrong or who's who's mean and who's not mean. Um, but but I, you know, there's again, there's this gravity issue where where that affected character's behavior. It's interesting. Um, when, when Shay and, and Sasha are on the, on, the, on the couch just before they get gassed <laughs> in 719, and, uh, and it's really, I mean, this is also proof that, that, we, that the show ended just in time, and, I, and, I, and, I, and Shay said, and Emily says, I didn't come all this way. Uh, not not to have you and it wasn't until after i shot the thing i said oh wait a minute this is almost exactly what hannah says to caleb in the in the cabin mm -hmm. and i said oh god i think it's time to go mm -hmm. it was bad enough when it was all the pinata jokes mm -hmm. but um but she said i'm not going to let anything happen to you and and i forget the context of it but but shay looked at me and she said even though she knows she can't do that even though she knows she can't, she can't guarantee that. And I said, yeah, because I think she's saying it out loud because she's saying it out loud because maybe she wants it to be real. Mm -hmm. But I thought, it was, I thought it was interesting that 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 she said that that Shay didn't think that Emily had the power to protect her and protect them. Interesting. All right. Well, I think as we kind of close out here, we had a few final questions. One of them was Please. just. Uh, what was the thing that you wanted to accomplish or kind of your, your big priority uh, thing you didn't want to leave behind uh, as far as PLL's legacy goes? You know, I don't really know if, if when we went into it, uh, that that kind of thinking was going on. Um, and when you look at what I was able, what I, the kind of gifts that were there that were put in front of me to do the black and white show to, 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 to write about these characters this the way I was able to write about them to, to give these scenes, I mean, like I look back at just individual scenes. I look back at this, you know, at Hannah and and her mother in that empty apartment. But the six, you know, songs of innocence and songs of experience. Mm -hmm. Those two episodes together. I can't really identify something that got left out, per se. And I really don't know what that legacy is because I think we're gonna. I don't know. Is it gonna? Is this show gonna stay in people's heads or not? Does it matter? Don't know. 
as I say, in a, in a you know, I'm I'm hoping that somewhere down the lines, you guys put your thoughts together. I mean, like, I mean, what's why this show? What's the show? What did what what you know? We've talked about this a little bit in the past. Is you know, particularly with, with Norman, is that you know, we we did this a certain way, mm-hmm. and we weren't sure if anyone would notice that it's the way we were doing it. But but you know, oh wait a minute, somebody did notice. Mm-hmm. Um, which has been, you know, which it, it, it's a, it's a strange thing. It's strange. Do you hear me? It's strange. <laughs> um, well, where's a hand? I don't want to get too mushy, but, <laughs> but again, it's like, but I get, you know, that gets to be her last line that I get right. That's not getting mushy. And then Harry Nielsen starts to sing. Well, and speaking of which, so that's the legacy of PLO, but how does this album fit into the, you know, the musical career of Joseph Doherty? I don't, uh, in what sense? Well, I mean, I, I'm just curious, like you, you've talked in the past about how music has affected your writing or sometimes you write like it's music. Um, I think you've definitely had an interesting musical influence to the show I, with, yeah, without I you to Bye Bye Blackbird. Bye Bye Blackbird, which is, which actually, you know, it was, I came very close to not calling it Farewell, My Lovely. There was like one other couple other lines i thought i could get out of by my blackbird <laughs> which i wish i had used to so there's that i wanted to use the teddy bears picnic i think basically <laughs> everybody else was doing contemporary music so i just wanted to kind of like throw these these curveballs mm-hmm. in like the, like this like like in the eye abides the heart just because i think i just wanted people to listen a little closer mm-hmm. you know i mean that's why the bach is in there and the bach gets repeated that's why you don't it's, you know, that's why Mary Widow Waltz is in there. I wish I'd hoped to get, I wished I'd gotten Mary Widow Waltz one more time hmm. in there. You only hear it twice, but it's pretty telling when you do. The Goldberg variations. The Goldberg variations, there are 32 of them. You know. <laughs> um, yeah, and, you know, and yeah, when I wrote one script, it's, it's, it's Aria sitting at the piano and playing a Goldberg variation. And Troyan came up to me and started hitting me with a chair. <laughs> said it's fine it's simple here let me just play it for you it's just you don't have to pay a couple of bars if it's your own damn fault for being good (laughs) um yeah i don't know it's it's it's, you can it's like they're there and they're reinforcing um structurally yeah i'm really i get your i get concerned when i when people get all robert mckee and talk about the three-act structure and all that kind of stuff when I actually think actually it's in, it's it's a little bit more liberating as a writer to think about it as music, to think about it as either a serenade, which you know, it's, you know which was supposed to be Ezra's book, not Ostinato. <laughs> I don't know why they wouldn't let me call it Saraband. They just said I couldn't. Hmm. I've never, you know, ever since the you know the WB days, I've been skeptical of songs, but so I try to keep them out. And I'm <laughs> <laughs> the other way. Somebody said the other way you can always pick my scripts out is because they have they have none. They have no uh, contemporary references. <laughs> I'd say that's a lot of PL, though, in general. We, ch- I, I know, but every time it gets in there, it's, it's, I say, oh, you're not going to like this in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. No one's going to know what you're talking about. Mm. It's like slang, which is basically you're better off making it up mm. than trying to copy it. Like squeezing his grapefruit? Squeezing his grapefruit? That's an Did old you- one. That's uh, oh. uh, Hannah talking about Wilden to Ashley. Wait. Every time you baby squirrel Ezra, you take away his nuts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, as long as, you know, there's food stuffs involved with it, which are very good in terms of that. I, you mm-hmm. know, I see, yeah, I'm, 
nobody thought it would last as long as it would. Uh, we all got comfortable. We all liked each other for a very long time. Not that we stopped liking each other, but it was like amazing. <laughs> I mean, we were, I mean, I trust me, Charlie Craig came back for that last season and he looked around the room and could not believe how many people were still there. Mm-hmm. We just, you know, we just, you know, we just got it down and, and to the point where like, it's hard to know what's a reference and what's a deliberate reference and what's a Zen reference. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, there's the bell tower and certainly when I put flowers in Charlotte's hand on the ground, I was thinking about Madeline's flowers and vertigo. Mm-hmm. But I think I end up using, we end up using the flowers in a different way, but it's kind of, it makes us look like, you know, what you're doing. <laughs> Always a good thing to do. All right. Well, what's uh, next for Joseph Doherty now that PLL's over? Oh Lord. I've been worried about that for a while. <laughs> um, it's interesting. I have, I've tried I, seven years and counting collaborations, 34 scripts. I came out of this last, um, uh, we finishing in, in, in October and we finished post in December. Um, I came out of the show with so much kind of muscle memory that I just kind of put my head down and I started writing and I finished, uh, I finished another play and I finished another feature script that I want to take out, which we have, we haven't taken that out yet, but, uh, we will soon. And then I didn't, you know, I knew I didn't want to go back on another show. I certainly didn't want to staff because I didn't want that kind of, I just did, I'd just done it for seven years. Mm-hmm. And just to be cranky, I knew I was not going to be able to repeat that experience so that I better. So I just sat down and I've been thinking about, thinking about a different shape for television. I'm really intrigued by this concept of the short season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, where, I mean, this, the stock line basically, you know, the nature of television has changed since we started talking. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I came, I wrote what I thought was going to be a web series and then I, and I showed it to, they're called my team. Uh, we all wear uniforms and talk about <laughs> my career and they said, well, you know, this is all very well and good, but you, but could you expand it? And I said, expand it out. And I said, could you, is there an eight episode season? And I just have become, I've now developed, we haven't taken them out, but I've, I've been working on these two eight episode season shows that would be close ended, but would also be franchises. But with eight episodes, I could write the bulk of them. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, that's a, you know, that's like the old BBC model. Mm-hmm. Where where you basically just went away and wrote everything, so I'm so I'm intrigued about that. I have no idea what reaction is going to be when I t- you know when we go out with them, but it's interesting. I mean, I'm literally going to have like about a couple of episodes of each one written, so it's not like I don't want to pitch it. I just say, well, here, just take a look at this and see if you want me to tell you the rest of the story. Hmm. Um, I'd love to, but I you know I'd also love to kind of bucket list is to make an independent feature to write and direct that. So six months, one feature script, one play, and two TV shows. Yeah, not bad. Not bad at all. <laughs> yeah, and now I'm thinking, I mean, I take a nap or something. Um, <laughs> and no, actually, it's, it's I'm, I'm just now saying, I'm getting a little tired. So, I, oh, let me finish this, and, and then maybe I'll take a little break. But at the same time, you know, there's still a lot of stuff to, there's a lot of stuff to write. It, 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 and even though, you know, we've been out of production so long, 
the, pa- the past two weeks have really been the end of the show mm-hmm. in many ways. Um, because it's, you know, it's the public, it's our, it's our public ending. And I really, you know, it's kind of, it's a little spooky. Um, and you know, we'll see if we go gentle tonight. If, 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 if people remember us kindly or not, it's, I, I don't know. Cause I don't, you know, <laughs> I know nobody knows, I guess, but we can hope for the best. I'd like, I think we, we shall see apparently. <laughs> But please remember, the entire show is available on disc, July twenty seventh, I think. Oh, July that's fast. Yeah, and I, you know, and I, what I'm, what I'm lovingly, refer, lovingly referring to now as the brick, which is the is the hundred and sixty episode, thirty six disc, full full series package. Oh, does that exist? That mm-hmm. that is a, an existing thing. It will, you know, it's. It, I think it. I think the street date is the same as season seven. So, uh, how long before we get the special deluxe edition of that that's shaped like Liar's Lament? <laughs> oh my God! I don't. Jeez, they they bungled that. They really should. <laughs> like if you if you do the right task, it'll spit out the next disc for you to binge. <laughs> well, I've seen. You know, the box set looks a little bit like that goddamn Hellraiser thing. So <laughs> I really, it's probably dangerous in that respect. I love the knife coming out and scaring. Even Mona. God, I love Mona. <laughs> and then she's thrilled by it. And she's, oh, she is. She's just, oh, this is a, oh, this is a little S&M action there for her. But... <laughs> oh, I'm looking at the uh, cover art for the complete series right now. The board is on it. Liar's the Lament. It's on it. I am, yeah, I like that, that the board is on it. It's, 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 it's a pretty good metaphor for the show, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we were always playing this game with you, and the passageway was always under there. It still had lights in it. All right. Well, I, I feel like we learned a lot. I don't think we spoiled anything. There's still lots I of hope, I anticipation hope for so. the finale. Um, we have our various theories and whatnot, but uh, yeah, thank you for joining us. I feel yes. like we, oh, we learned a lot about kind of the, so the background of the show. I want to thank you for, thank you for giving me the chance to, to talk about it some more. <laughs> all right. Because I will now refuse to answer any questions and and then then refer all comments to my attorneys. At this point, but no, uh, listen, uh, you know, again, I said this before, it's like, uh, I want to thank you guys for for taking this seriously and, uh, but not too seriously. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, uh, yeah, we can't wait to see the finale in just a couple days away now. It is Marlene to the max. (laughs) Oh, good. I'll tell you that. All right. Well, can't wait. Great. Have a great time. Have a great rest of the weekend. (laughs) Thanks. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. Bye.